Okay, so I think I'm in the live stream for fakeologist.com, and uh, even though it is September 12th here in Australia, it is still September 11 in the United States. And so I thought I'd pop into the Fakeologist Discord server and say hello to all of the fakeologists out there and commemorate this tragic, tragic day when 3,000 innocent victims lost their lives at the hands of... Uh, a boogeyman in a cave in the Middle East. Horrible, horrible stuff, and uh, my heart goes out to the families. But it's good to see that so many people have come along to the Fakeologist Discord server. Let's go to fakeologist.com right now. How many people popped in for part one of what I'm sure will be a multi-part series? Let's take a look at who has stopped by already. Let's see here. Well, we've had uh, Napoleon Wilson, Velocet, Yasarian, Spiro, Noise Level, Rachel, Dave J, Abdelqua, Exoteric64, Phil Blanks, who's with me right now. We'll say hello in a moment. Cody from Memphis, Tom D, Original Simulant, Silverbean, Chad628, SMJ. And then for Part B, uh, the names haven't been listed yet. So already an all-star cast coming out for September 11, which leads some people, and I'll throw this to Dante in just a moment. Some people say, you know what, if September 11 brings people together, then in some ways, isn't this actually a beautiful thing? Uh, there could always be silver lining in any event, but if things uh, people could come together without having a publicly televised mass execution, even if the event was contrived and, and uh, manufactured and fake. So there's a potentiality that people like uh, your good self and myself could have met through other methods without... You know, the, uh, the indoctrination of the masses into hysteria and anxiety. So I'm not... It's certainly person. true. We could have met otherwise, but if we're being honest, what would the chances of that have been? One in a bajillion, I would have thought. Sure, but then I may have met other people through, you know, <laughs> other permutations of uh, random encounters. And But I, I think that just because good things have come of 9-11, does not necessarily mean that um, the event itself was benign. But, again, those are uh, I'm open-minded to all these different ideas. Well, let me throw something at you, and I'd love to get Phil's opinion, Rollo too, so long as he's not drunk. Let me get your opinion on this idea. What if an easy path to happiness is gratitude? That is, if you want to be happy with your life, be grateful for what you have, okay? Circumstances outside of your control, circumstances inside of your control, regardless, if you want to be happy, practice being grateful for what you have. What do you think of that idea? I would agree with that idea. Me too. Phil, you're coming in soft there, bro. You might want to just check your uh, the gain on your microphone or something like this, or maybe we can use the server to boost your audio. Check one, two, check one, two. Let's see. Yep. Well, it's, not, it's not terrible. People can hear you. That's the most important thing, but... What do you reckon, Dante? Is he coming through a little bit quiet? I could hear him earlier when we were in the other channel. Uh, I don't hear enough words from him to know one way or the other. Check one, two, check one, two, one, two. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, but, you know, gratitude for the air I'm breathing, for the food that I have access to, for my shelter, for, you know, the people in my uh, direct sphere. Uh, yeah, all these things I'm grateful for. But I don't. I don't see how. But not 9/11, not the single most uh, significant event of your lifetime. You're not grateful for that. 
I am not playful in the context in which you're... You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Audio Chat on Fakeologist.com. Hey, what did you think, Dante, of the intro that Velocet did for part one of our uh, member Skype call the other day? Uh, I, I didn't hear it. I gotta, I gotta listen to it. I have not um, downloaded it yet. And actually, I did download it. I have not listened to it yet, though. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but let's just say that there's an inside joke that makes up the first uh, minute or two of the of the call, which I found very, very amusing. And uh, what's that word that you use? A propos? I think it's terrific. But I think a lot of the new members to the website, they will not get it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of feedback we get. Yeah, no, I'll probably listen to it before I go to sleep. Uh, I conk out listening to stuff. What is the... Uh, but just rewinding a little bit, the single most important event of my life, at least in terms of geopolitical affairs, if there was some type of hidden knowledge, I just it would be nice to have that stuff communicated at a much earlier age than have to be indoctrinated with nonsense for 18 years and then figuring it out on my own or through the help of others that, uh, you know, the TV's lying, and if there's some type of hidden significance, whether it's uh, numerologically, whether it's uh, some type of an occult initiation uh, for individual personal development, I, you know, I just think there's other methods that could have better be better employed. However, those who run the show, I will gladly admit, are probably orders of magnitude brighter than myself and have their own agenda, which, you know, I have to be open-minded to because I'm not running the world, and I don't think I have the capacity to run the world. It's hard enough to run myself. It's hard hard enough to, <laughs> uh, you know, not eat pizza um, and Doritos. So, yeah, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit flippant, but uh, I, I, I'm not there yet with this was done as a favor to me or done as a favor to anybody in this fringe scene of truth-seeking. Yeah, that's fair enough. I wonder if in time people will become more open-minded to this idea that whatever happened on September 11, we can't change it. And so just like anything that we can't change, we can choose what perspective that we have on it. So if we want to have a negative perspective, then that's exactly what we can do. If, on the other hand, we want to have a positive perspective, then we can do that too. And, uh, yeah, we'll see over the next period of time if more people are willing to look at this from a positive perspective. And, and for me, I think this is a classic example of a positive perspective to have on it. Were it not for 9-11, then it stands to reason to me that I would never have met Dante from New York. And by meet, I mean, obviously, we've only spoken uh, online, but there's a good chance we'll meet in real life. But even if we just focus on the online, meeting, I would never have met online Dante from New York and literally dozens of other people, either at fakeologist.com or johnlebond.com. So there's there's a direct benefit that there's been for my life, thanks largely to 9-11. Now, if someone comes to me and they say, oh, but, but overall, there's all these other bad things. Okay, well, you go focus on the bad things and I'll focus on the good things and we'll see who has a happier life. I know where my money's going and it's not on the people focusing on the bad. Well, I'm not focusing on the bad, and I, I always have admired, for example, people with cancer, especially children with cancer that seem happy and 
whether it's through uh, a certain religious tradition or through just positive mental attitude and, you know, have figure out a way to see the bright side of their uh, misfortunes. And it's always been something I've admired. And I, I'm not stuck on the negative. I was stuck on the negative for several years, unfortunately. Uh, one of the things I admired upon coming across your work is how quickly you deprogrammed uh, to the stage that you're at. Um, I do feel I have that capacity for deprogramming quickly, but I was stuck in the 9-11 rut for several years thinking, you know, the government did it and, you know, this is an oppressive regime and everything I was taught was a lie and blah, blah, blah. You know, gradually I've, you know, dissolved some of that negativity, but I still, even in retrospect, and, um, you know, it's, there's some great positive things that have come out of it, but I just, I still think that when it's, it stems from deception at its heart, uh, I, I just can't ignore that fact, but I'm certainly glad to have met you virtually, and uh, I've definitely learned a lot in this whole entire ACT scene, so that I'm grateful for as well. Cool. I, cool. So, anyway, I'll let Phil talk, or Rolo's in the crew, is in the room. Is this any better, uh, the audio? Yeah, it's coming through louder. Probably a bit less, less um, quality sound, but it's definitely louder than it was. JLB, I sent you some photos. I don't know if you saw them, but... Well, I saw some photos on the JLB service, so I'm not sure if you were happy for those to be uh, disseminated publicly or if they're just for the server. What I might have to do is set up a separate text channel on my server for, um, like, server server exclusive material and then yeah. another one that's general and then if people upload photos or videos say for example from new york to the general one then i might use some of them for um for videos or whatever because uh, this is pretty cool to me you've got all these photos here i'm assuming you're the one who took these photos right yeah earlier today i, ha I had to go down in town for something related to some work and i figured i'd swing by and see if there was any of the old we are change crew i did upload those same exact photos and video to the channel on the bottom left-hand side of the Fakeologist uh, channel, which is 9-11 Media Fakery. Um, but I took yeah, because if you'd be comfortable with me doing so, I'd be happy. I'd love to make a video sort of saying, like, it's so easy to make a video where you just put videos and put them on mute and then include a few uh, photos as well, like still shots, and then just do a voiceover. It doesn't take long to do something like that. Oh, so so um, if, you'd be, if you'd be comfortable with me doing that, I might go ahead and do that. Maybe uh, tomorrow or something, and I'm very comfortable. Some of the, a couple of the clips are too big. It only allows like a 8.8 or 9 megabyte upload, so I have to send it through another method. But I, uh, you know, I wanted to see if there was some of the old We Are Changed folks uh, have a couple of chats, maybe even get that on recording. But there was nobody there from like the Luke Rudkowski to the Matt Lepicheks to the the you know original. We are we are changed base. Uh, there was nobody there. It was it was understandable. I mean, we're looking at years and years past the event. But uh, when I got into that scene and volunteered myself, uh, I think certainly it was like 2008 or 2000. I got I forget the exact year, but I mean, there was hundreds of people all over the place, marching and chanting, and you know, it was like almost equivalent to the number of people that were calling us all traitors and whatnot but today when i went down there i mean it was so muted it was like a few people 
preaching about the towers being blown up and, you know, maybe a few dozen people saying that they were cowards, that they were assholes. But it, it, it was, it, it just did not have the same punch that it, it once did. Possibly because the Freedom Tower is now built up. But before it was like the World Trade Center was completely, you know, uh, it still had no development on it. Just empty. So it was, a, it was kind of like a depression. But do you think, though, that this is just a function of people have just moved on, man? 17 years ago, for most people, is ancient history. Most people don't care anymore, man. Most people just I, don't care. I, they do not care. Uh, I, I think that I don't know, like, circa 2005, but I can say in, like, 2008, 2009, 2010, it was very active in terms of, I mean, that's what, like, Alex Jones was down there. Uh, you know, We Are Change was like really picking up in terms of its uh, quote unquote movement. So you had people coming in there from out of town, uh, all over the Northeast. So I do, yeah, I guess people just moved on and understandably, I haven't been down there in several nine, it's been at least six or seven nine eleven since I actually went down there and went downtown. And I live close by, so it's like, I guess it's. It's no longer front and center in terms of people's uh, motivations. I think it's easy for people like us, certainly for me, I know I'm guilty of this, to forget that what is important to us, it's uh, almost self-referential in the sense that, like, I'll talk about 9-11, you'll talk about 9-11, we'll do a podcast about a completely different thing, like um, like a movie analysis or something, but something will come up and we'll find ourselves referring back to 9-11. So we... We're constantly reminding each other of the significance of this event to us as individuals and as a group. But to the average person, 9-11 only comes up once a year in the week or two leading up to it. They see a clip on the news, oh, yeah, that thing happened. The rest of their of their world has nothing to do with 9-11. And so it's just just something that happened to them, and that's that's as far as it goes, you know. So when yeah. you say to me, when you say to me that when you went there, there was no one there, I'm like, yeah, it was 17 years ago, so... I'd be surprised if there were many people there, you know. I'd be pleasantly surprised if, if people still cared. No, I, I agree with you. It's just it's just time moves so quickly. It's just, wow, 30, 17 years. It's like how many more 17-year blocks of time do I have left before I expire? And it's like, wow, it just kind of puts things into perspective. But that, that, that event radically changed my entire perspective on the world. So, uh in a sense, I am grateful not to, you know, beat a dead dog. But, um, you know, what its ultimate purpose is, I'm still exploring. And, uh, you know, I'd love to – I can't wait for your new work to come uh, come about. And, you know, here I am. It's just – it's still of interest to me. Oh, it's interesting to me. It gets more and more interesting with uh, every passing month. In fact, even just today, so I've seen that Coinofile in the text chat on this uh, server has posted a link to the Millennium Hilton New York downtown, which obviously you've taken a photo of as well. Now, I've spoken about this, what I think is significant about this building many times, the whole link to the black monolith and this kind of thing. Of course, the phone number for the Millennium Hilton is blah, 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 2001. Right. And it's a Millennium Hilton, and in the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, which has a black monolith as its like centerpiece sort of um, theme or motif that this is clearly modelled on. There's a Millennium Hilton on the space station in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and this is a Millennium Hilton. And then if you look at the logo for a Hilton, it looks like a vortex. It's an H with a vortex. 
And I knew that this was at 55 Church Street, but I had forgotten, or I just didn't know, one of the two, that it had 55 floors, according to this link from, uh, from Coinophile. And I also didn't know that after its refurbishment, it reopened on May 5, 2003. So May 5, so think about May is the fifth month. So the fifth day of the fifth month, so there's another 55. And then it was 2003, so 2003, there's another five. So it's 55 Church Street, 55 tourist, uh, stories tall, refurbished and reopened on May 5. And of course, it's called the Millennium Hilton. And on the space station in 2001, a space odyssey, it's Millennium, it's, um, it's number five on that, on that film. It's hotel number five, the Millennium Five. And of course, it's built like a giant black monolith which is at the centre of the film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and 2001 A Space Odyssey was released in 68 with the title 2001, and what year was 9-11? Well, it was 2001, and where is this Hilton situated? Directly across from the World Trade Centre, all by amazing coincidence, of course. Of course, and you'll see many normie intellectuals say how absurd... The idea that there's anything meaningful behind coincidences, from Richard Feynman, the physicist, to uh, some of the great marketing minds of this era. So yeah, it's uh, but beyond having identified this this obvious pattern, this obvious coincidence, what actually is being revealed to the very small uh, fraction of the population that is kind of attuned to this type of frequency yeah and is it is it one revelation like is it oh you're meant to all come to the same conclusion or is it more like artwork or even like a rorschach test an inkblot test so this idea that oh so we've discovered this these coincidences that are not mere coincidences there's something going on oh we're also meant to figure out some overarching objective uh, meaning to it is that the case i don't think so i'm not convinced that's that's the idea. I think this is just like artwork. You'll take your own subjective meaning from it. Of course, for a lot of people, that's not enough. A lot of people can't enjoy art. They can't go to an art gallery and enjoy it unless they've got someone telling them what it all means. They can't just enjoy it for what it is. And I think things like the Black Monolith or the giant Millennium Hilton, it's the same problem. It's like, well, people like me will just enjoy this for what it is and see where it takes us. There'll be other people who'll spend all day walking around saying, well, tell me what it means. Tell me what it means. And it's like, well, I, you know, I don't think you quite, I don't think we're quite on the same level just yet with this one. I don't think there's an objective, overall, single meaning, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's just when, if there's a, a some type of um, agreement amongst people in this scene that there is an overall kind of uh, purpose or agenda behind the event, whether it's connected to prior events or if it's an emerging property of the system where it's, it's, a, it's a necessary act to carry on all the other lives, whatever it may be, it's just uh, it, if, if the new interpretation is, hey, the people who are on the show orchestrated this event and are allowing everybody to kind of interpret it as they see fit, and it's just an art gallery in real life, okay. Like I'm, 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 I'm cooler with that than like having hints or uh, at the overall riddle and never really figuring out the riddle. Are you cool with that though? Honestly, if that's actually what was being done, sure. 
Yeah, but so, so even then, though, you'd still want someone else's external sort of validation of the idea that your subjective interpretation is okay. You still want someone to say, no, th- the purpose is for you to find your own purpose. You still want someone else to sort of tell you that's the purpose. Oh, like in terms of having authority or having some type of official uh, uh, injunction from a deity or from the people who are on the show saying yeah, so that... Let me, let me put it to you like this, and, and I meant to interrupt, but let, let me explain it to you like this. So I explored this idea of sync, and I bought the sync books. I listened to a ton of their podcasts. I read their books, took notes, synthesized my own summations of each of their chapters, and I've watched some of their videos, and I've engaged with it, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And so... I've had a long time to explore. Well, what's the point of all this sync? Okay, we've found all these coincidences or synchronicities. What's the point of it all? And for me now, I've taken what I've discovered and I've built upon it in my own life. I don't need someone to come and... T- they could come and tell me, no, no, no. Okay, you've worked out all the coincidences. Here's what we mean by it. And I'd say, no, that's what you mean by it. But this now has its own meaning to me. The same as any art. Any good artwork and any person who knows how to appreciate art, if the person who creates the artwork comes and tells you what it means... You can say, oh, that's cool, that's useful, but now let me tell you what it means to me as a subjective right. viewer. So as a subjective viewer, we come up with our own meanings. If, if we allow our minds, if, we, if we're in control of our own minds and our own thoughts, we say, well, thank you, Mr. Artist. I appreciate what you've done here, and I can see why that means that to you, but I am the subjective interpreter. Here's what it means to me. And so I think, and, and now we're getting to the philosophy of art, which is effectively the philosophy of life, if you are a person who puts art out there, puts ideas out there, the moment you put it out to the world, it no longer means whatever you want it to mean. It means whatever the receiver, the subject, the observer, whatever they want it to mean. And usually they have no conscious thought over what it means to them. Self-aware ones can consciously consider what it means and they can take what you're suggesting into their interpretation, but ultimately it's theirs. So for one example, if I put out, if I put out a video... To me, that video can be clearly trying to say one thing. Then I can discover that the majority of people who see it think that I'm joking or think that this is a thought experiment or think that this is some kind of um, dual, dual meaning thing and it doesn't mean what it says, right? Whereas I'm thinking to myself, no, I couldn't have been more blatant. I said what I meant. I showed what I meant. I gave examples. I drew diagrams. I couldn't be any more blatant with what I'm trying to say with this video, but it means something different to the majority of people who see it. And that's okay. Okay. To, to, to the person who sees this, this is just a thought experiment. To the person who sees this, this is just a joke. Okay. That's, if you want to get involved in creating content or creating art, call it whatever you want, you have to accept that just because you're the one who produced it doesn't mean you get to decide what it means. And so it is to me with 9-11. Even if the people who run the show revealed themselves to me and said, no, bro, this is what we mean by it. I'd say, that's cool, that's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm happy to hear what you're saying, but now I'm going to tell you what it means to me in my life. You see? I see what you're saying, but I would... So, but it took me a long time to come to this, man. Most of my exploration of sync was ultimately an exploration of the philosophy of art, because that's really what we're talking about here. This person produces a film. We notice all of these coincidences in the film. Well, that person could have just been producing artwork. 2001 A Space Odyssey could, could seriously just be one guy or a bunch of guys uh, version of art, maybe with some intentional symbols that would reveal themselves later through the event that we call 9-11. But ultimately, this is just them exploring what life is and what meaning is. 
then me and anyone else who comes along and watches that film or watches 9-11 or puts the two together and realises that in many ways they are the same film or they reflect each other, that's still our subjective interpretation of it. That's art. So, so sync, if you go if you go into sync expecting that it will give you the answers, then you're probably going to be disappointed. You have to be self-driven with your interpretation of the world. And most people are not. Most people will always need someone else to tell them, here's what it means. They will always need that. Which is exactly why religion is so... There will always be religions, man. Always. Whether it's scientism, Christianity, uh, Islam. There will always be the masses who need someone else to tell them what this means. Always. Always. Those of us who can say, well, this is what it means to me. And that's way more important to me than whatever you're saying it means. Nah. We'll always be the minority, I'm afraid. That's the reality of this thing that we call reality. <laughs> Original stimulus, are you there? Uh, it's an existential question. I'm here. Okay, because, uh, well, I didn't know if you were here in the sense of being willing to talk. So I'm going to mute myself for a couple of minutes. i got to go get some drink. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on what JLB just said. Yeah, me too. But before you do, Original Simulant, you're just coming through a little quiet. Are you close to your mic? Yeah, let me try to turn up a little bit. Let me turn my volume up a little bit. Here. See if this will be better. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to say because, like, I've got my mic. Like, I can hear you. The most important things that we can hear you. So that's that's good. All right. I had a uh, I had a professor in college. Um, he was my favorite professor. But he, uh, along the lines of what you're saying, he used to have a kind of an axiom where he'd say, uh, "Presentation is not proposition." You know, just because uh, you know the piece of art is not necessarily proposing something to you that you're to receive, you know, this like objective, um, you know, clinical, uh, you know, definition of, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not necessarily that it's, uh, there's presentation and there's meaning that you derive from it. And, uh, you know, there's not wrong for deriving the meaning you do. It's part of the, it's part of the thing. I'd love to get your perspective on it, and sorry if you've already explained this elsewhere, but when you look at things like the Millennium Hilton, which looks just like the black monolith, right, right, right. Uh, can you tell me what, like, firstly, can you start off and tell me if you actually think that that is significant, and then if you do, when did you find out about that, and then what you make of it now? Significant is an interesting word. <clears throat> I, You know, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, in, in the scene in Close Encounters, uh, whatever, or maybe in UHF parody where he's messing with the mashed potatoes. He's like, this means something, you know? I don't think it's necessarily like that, but it could be, you know? I, I can't say for sure. I can't remember when I found out about the Hilton, but it was around the time that uh, I started seeing the the, the uh, monolith and other things like the, uh, the Utah Data Center. So this was probably like 2013 or so. Um, it seemed, you know, the, the black reflective rock, the black reflective surface, and um, but the millennium thing, I mean, it's just 2001 was the actual millennium, right? Not 2000. So the the, the new millennium began on, on in 2001. Can you explain that to me? Because I've heard people say that, but I'm not quite so sure. This is Arthur, C. Clark, Arthur C. Clarke has his own little quote about it, too, where he says, because uh, the year zero isn't, uh, you know, the year, the month doesn't start on zero, right? And neither does the year. Neither does neither does the millennium. So it's day one starts the new millennium. Day one of the new millennium starts the new millennium, which would be 2001. 2020 is but not... Was there a year zero or a year one? 
Well, by the you know, by the way they they calculate it, that's that's what they say, right? But like you and I know that that's well, I know that. Well, I shouldn't say no, but it's all just arbitrary anyway. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, but that's why that's why I find this weird that people say, "Oh, the millennium started on." I'm like, what? What do you mean? Oh well, if there was a year zero or one, I'm like, well, you don't you don't believe that, so why are we? This is a hypothetical based on a hypothetical, isn't it? You know what I mean? Right, but it's not based on my belief. I didn't create the whole thing. You know what I mean? This is just what they say. This is what Arthur C. Clarke says. You know, and he did 2001: The Space Odyssey. He, you know, that has the monolith that looks like it's the monolith. So, you know, to me, it would seem like that that has something to do with it. That it's like the uh, the the dawn of the new thing. But again, it's just it's totally speculative. You know, and it's I don't know. I don't. There's no way to prove it. And whether it means anything to me, not not really. I guess. In, in a sense, it does because it leads you. It can kind of like be a uh, breadcrumb for you, even even though you might be seeding your own breadcrumbs. But you know, it, it just kind of moves moved me on a little bit to looking at things a little bit differently. Well, so, so here's why I ask, right? Because I think this is significant. I remember people celebrating the new millennium on New Year's Eve, 1999. So the last day of what we call 1999, people were saying this is the end of the millennium. That's what we celebrated. So, and I remember that. I remember this very well. Even though I was a child, I was too young to drink or anything like that. I remember this very well. So, if people now tell me, "Oh, that wasn't the millennium," it's like, okay, according to what? Because if we if we now say that abstract ideas are more important than the actual physical celebration, then what are we engaging in? Like the physical celebration of the millennium was the end of 1999. So, what are we? We're denying the celebration that happened. Like it just seems like very strange to me. If you can get what I'm trying to say here, I do. I, I do understand. I remember when it, when the um, when all the buzz was coming out about you know the the 1999 and uh, the new millennium, and we. I mean, I was the same way. Celebrated on 19 on December 31st, 1999. But I remember the the uh, your scientific you know your science uh, scientific types you know on TV, and they're saying, well, no, it's see, there's no. It's actually 2001 that starts the millennium. Whatever, you know. I'm just saying that there seems to be some school of thought that it is in 2001 that it started. So yeah, I understand. I understand what you mean by that part. And what we've been talking, I've looked, I've Googled this. I just Googled when did the millennium begin, and I'm getting uh, mainstream things saying, well, there's debate about it. Some say it was right. 2000, some say it was 2001. And it's like, okay, so the official story now is that the millennium there is no set time when the, when the millennium started. Okay, that's great. I'm telling you, I remember that the millennium was ending at the end of 1999. So, I remember, I, yeah, that on January 1st, my I wrote my check and it said year 2000 on it. But I don't know. Yeah, no, it's interesting stuff. So you found out about this uh, Millennium Hilton that looks like a black monolith thing in what did you say, 2013, five years ago? Maybe t- 2013, 2014, maybe. I can't remember. Right around the time um, I was looking at like looking at stuff like the NSA headquarters and stuff in Utah, the data center. So that was probably around that time, yeah. Are you very familiar with the concept or the field of sync? Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Have you read any of their um, – well, they've got two – there's two sync books, right? And I read them for the first time last year. And uh, I have to say, the sync video by Joe Alexander, the 9-11 predicts Back to the Future, or Back to the Future predicts 9-11, the two sync books – and listening to a ton of their podcasts has uh, been, I don't want to say life-changing, because that sounds very, um, that, sa- that sounds a bit too strong, but in terms of the direction of my research, yeah, 
my engagement with sync has changed everything for me. So, uh, so now whenever I meet someone like yourself, I'm like, well, if you're into this stuff, tell me, like, have you engaged with the sync people? Like, what do you, what do you know about those people? When you say, like, when you say sync, and I've heard you say something about it before about, um, you, the books and stuff. I didn't, I don't know what that even is. I didn't know there was like a sync show or, or people who did the books or anything like that. I just, it's kind of a phenomenon that I, uh, I would, I wouldn't say I stumbled upon it naturally, but I, I guess I would say I, just, I stopped ignoring it, you know? Like when, uh, when it would come up and I started following it more, you know, more in, intuitively. But through it, like just looking at esoteric stuff is, is how I came to, um, become familiar with it. I don't, I don't know anything about their, uh, the people who have, maybe they have theorems about it or, or ideas about it or, or stuff like that. I don't have any, any, uh, first-hand, you know, experience with any of their literature or whatever. I just have well, yeah, they are a fascinating group. Let me tell you, they're, they're fascinating because for myself, you know. So. Well, because you can you can look back. They released their books in 2011, and then they released well, the first one in 11, the second one in 12, and they never released another one. And and they've got all their archives there. So if you go and engage with their work, you kind of you're almost looking back in time because it seems to me as though they've more or less sort of fizzled out in a way. But but you know, their work still stands for what it was. So you're not just looking at the work that they did and the connections they found. You're also looking at a little online community that sort of grew, peaked, and then sort of plateaued and then disappeared, you know. it's So even just from a sociological perspective, it's fascinating. So I'd encourage anyone to to go and check out The Sync Book. They've got a website called The Sync Book. They've got two books called The Sync Books. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Let me ask you this. Can you tell us, like, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to, but can you tell us roughly what part of America you're in? I live in Florida. Florida, awesome. Well, I plan to come to Florida anyway because there's a couple of members down there I want to go and meet. So if I came to Florida, would you meet up with me? Would you be cool with doing that? Absolutely. There's- awesome. All right, now imagine that we meet up, right? Uh, yep. We meet, we say good day. it's great. If, uh, if you're an alcohol drinker, we can get a couple beers. If you're a teetotaler, we'll go get a coffee or something. And imagine we're chatting, and I say to you, what's your opinion on Princess Diana? You know that princess who supposedly died in a car crash, right? right? And I say that to you, and we start chatting about it, and I tell you that I think nobody died, nobody got hurt, period. You tell me that you think maybe she did die, but, you know, it was a setup, whatever. We have a chat about it. And then five minutes later, over the radio, just by apparent chance, the song Candle in the Wind comes on by Elton John, right? How would you how would you interpret that as a hypothetically if this were to happen how would you interpret that? Here's since it's you I might be a little different but um, with most people when these things happen I don't say anything you know what I mean I, I just kind of ride with it but how I interpret it is that uh, I'm in I'm in the right I'm in the the wave so to speak you know like uh, how the ocean has different currents and stuff I'm in some kind of current at that time uh, I don't know if I'd say being carried but in touch with it uh, somehow, you know, that I wouldn't say I caused it to happen, you know, and I wouldn't say our conversation caused it to happen, and I wouldn't say that it's a sign uh, necessarily, but I would say maybe it's a it, maybe it's a marker, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a signpost that uh, this is kind of like, you know, I wouldn't say on the right track, but it's just kind of like uh, harmonizing what's 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 occurring. That's an excellent answer. I like that, harmonizing. That's pretty much how I'd say it. I wouldn't say, oh, the song came on because we were discussing it. Right. Because that, that sort of presupposes like a, a cause and effect through time. And right. sync, a lot of the sync guys, they, their philosophy on this would be more towards 
Well, it's not that X causes Y, you know, in in the future. It's that it's all connected at all times. So you're right. in the moment, you hear that song, it has a meaning to you which which makes it significant, and then you can imprint or you can project onto that whatever you want. So in that moment, one of us would say to the other one, do you realize what song is on right now? And then we'd either laugh or we'd, um, we'd have one of those sort of instances where it's like, is the person who runs the PA running the music having a, like playing a joke on us? Or it would just remind us, hold on, we're here right now, do you know what I mean, in the moment. Because a lot of us spend our days basically just going through patterns, not even thinking, you know. And sometimes these things, they can just remind you, uh, you're here right now, bro. Right now, in this moment, you are alive. All the thoughts in your head about the future and the past, they're all abstract thoughts. They're not now. They're not real. You are real right now. And sometimes sync can sort of jolt you out of that mind fog that a lot of us spend our days in. It's like, no, no, you are real. This is real right now in this instant right here. This is really happening, you know. And, and it's, This is really uh, happening. It's tough with, like, technology. And I, I would, in some ways, I would, uh, I, would, I would put, like, the song on the radio sort of as technology. For me, like, when sync stuff happens, uh, my mantra is that, like, it can it can be started maybe by some kind of technological interface, but it can't be confirmed by it for me. You know what I mean? It has to be something in nature or something like that. Something very organic has to occur. Uh, it can't be like, well, then I went to this, you know, this, I watched this YouTube video and then the next one, like, would you believe that the next one is suggested? Forget all that shit. You know what I mean? In my opinion, it's, it's, uh, that's too easy to trick. It's too easy to be faked and it's too easy to lead you down, you know, lead, it's like the tiger leading you into the tall grass. Uh, it's going to give you like this, this, this um, authentic experience that that simulates being authentic, and it's going to kind of get you addicted, you know, it, it, from what I see. Like, for me, um, I remember I was, like, debating this decision one day, and I swear to God, a, you know, a freaking hawk flew down and landed two, uh, two, five feet, two, you know, five or two feet, somewhere around there, right in front of me. It feels like it was right in front of me. Maybe it was five feet away. But, I mean, it was right in front of me, you know, and then just took right back off. For me, this is like, you know, I think like thoughts in my mind, like Horus and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of a mystical, you know, like a natural mystical thing. So, that, but it sealed the deal for me. Right there, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through with it. I believe that those kind of signs and stuff are they're encouraging you. They're not, they're not gonna discourage you. You know what I mean? Um, you, the hawk wasn't there to warn me or, or something like that. I think it was just like you said. It's like yeah, stop, stop um, dwelling on all this nonsense about future and stuff you know is this the wrong decision what, what will it cause you know just push through with it just do what you know you what, do what you know is right you know what I mean? it seems like we receive these uh sinks and identify these patterns but what about the people that are even individuals like ourselves are kind of making sinks happen for other people right yeah, and how they don't tell you you know what i mean if yeah, that's the thing you have to wonder about is like how often are you the cause of it for other people or not the cause and effect in that presupposed way, but I'll use that word. Uh, you know, are you the trigger for it for other people, but you're not in that, you're not in that uh, feedback loop where you're not hearing but it. That you in that, yeah. in that, 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 that uh, morphic field uh, from, you know, to use a phrase from Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah. Like you're, you're doing something, you have intent on doing something, but the, impact on somebody else, even the second or third degree removed, is is receiving a sink. Uh, that to me is interesting as well in terms of how it all 
interrelates. And a lot of that stuff can spook people who aren't kind of used to it, and um, they're not going to tell you about it. You know, I and and if someone else caused you know caused it again for me, I don't necessarily tell them about it either because it kind of ruins the moment. You know what I mean? It takes the romance out of it, and um, you know, I think at our best, that's what we're doing for people. I hope you know, at our best, we're in, we're we're kind of the the the, the, I don't know, the Tesla coil for that. We're kind of radiating that. Careful. Careful. I know, I know, I know. I know. I know. It's just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. But you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it was just, it's funny because I was uh, at a street fair on Sunday. A lot of times, like in New York City, they close off avenues and have like all these uh, random food carts and people selling trinkets. It's like, it's really annoying actually, but uh, I was walking up, <laughs> and it, it was like this little pain healer. It turned out to be a chiropractic office, but it wasn't labeled as such. And it, he was giving the metaphor of how the brain was uh, the Tesla or Edison modeled, uh, you know, some of their inventions about the brain and how that was uh, was causing some of the pain, which resulted in uh, nerves um, dysfunctioning in terms of the inflammation in my wrist that I was experiencing. Anyway, when he started bringing up Tesla, I just immediately, I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> wish JLB were here. He would uh, disabuse this salesman of any notion that Oh, Tesla on the contrary. I'd nod my head, I'd smile politely, and uh, I think I would be able to keep myself uh, in shape. I've, I've gotten a lot better at that, you know. I've gotten a lot better at, oh, really? Whoa, you know. Uh, Tell us more. Tell us more about this uh, gentleman called Tesla that uh, was the progenitor of this, uh, this the, the vertebrae subluxation. It was like a little model that uh, the guy had to show where the on and off switch of the nervous system was. And apparently, I don't know, it, not to belabor the point, but it was, uh, you know, whenever I hear Tesla come up or a coil come up, it's like, ah, <laughs> let's see what this person is just talking nonsense. And this ties in well, doesn't it? Because when you learn about some of these uh, deceptions or hoaxes, you, you start to notice just how pervasive they are. Like you start to notice just how much they seem to come up in general discourse or in the, the regular day-to-day lives of the masses, how often these myths are reinforced. You probably don't notice it when you believe in the myth, but when you break free from it, all of a sudden you see Tesla everywhere, don't you? He's everywhere. Yeah, uh, I, somebody on the uh, Discord chat had mentioned the reticular reticular activating system, or I, I remember hearing that years ago on TV, uh, or Brian Tracy, one of those personal development uh, coaches, speakers, but where you learn a new vocabulary word, or you are talking about a particular car model, and then you start seeing it on the road, or you start seeing the word in newspaper articles or books. So, yeah. Well, Tesla's two of those in one go, isn't he? He's a character yeah. who comes up in lots of people's stories, and he's on the road all the time. So he's a classic, uh, you know, Texas sharpshooter. You know, when you're thinking about it, you're going to see it. When you're looking for Volkswagen Beetles, you'll see him. Well, right. when you realize that Tesla's a hoax, you'll start noticing all the Teslas on the road. Yeah, classic example. And, and then you start to see... It's not hard to understand how easy it is for these myths to, to be believed by the masses, because... They're constantly reinforced, aren't they? Constantly reinforced, yeah. constantly reinforced. And then oh, someone comes that. along with the temerity to say, hey, guys, I went and read this guy's books. You won't believe what's in there. He claims to have spoken with Martians. He claims to have passed 
the Niagara Falls uh, hydroelectric current through his body and melted wires and being completely unharmed himself. The, yeah. the wires that he was touching to pass the, the electricity melted, but his body was fine. This is what's written in his so-called books, in his articles. Uh, guys, I think this guy is fake, you know. Well, they don't like that because this is a character of their... This is a real-life character to them, isn't it? It's a real-life person. But it's, the thing, it, it's not even like, I'll let you go over Samuel. No, no go ahead. The, it's, the, the, the character, the people that you're talking about that will reject that and say that, oh, you're not an expert or, uh, oh, how, how could they fake it? You know, somebody would have, some journalist, some uh, market journalist that uh, would be investigating a, a stock analyst from that's looking into Tesla would have uncovered this, et cetera, and so forth. They, they, they really don't know that much about Tesla. You know, I didn't. I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't. I just assumed because I had some type of relationship to where Wardenclyffe is. Um, you know, I know people that live in Shoreham, New York, and my younger sister lives close by there. So it's like, and then the whole Tesla thing is so big out there. I just assumed, oh, oh, this guy Tesla was a real character. Um, it's, it's certainly, but 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 other the the, the normies they they don't know the specifics. They'll just so easily dismiss it. It's like, it's just weird to me how they, it's something that they don't know that much about, but anybody that's challenging something that they don't know much about, dismiss it. It's just, uh, but yeah. Uh, we don't know much about, I don't think we know much about anything. I mean, most of us, you know, not, not any of the stuff we think we do. You know, there's that unlearning process, the cloud of unknowing, they call it in Christian mysticism, where you kind of like, uh, the cloud of unknowing descends on you, and you're like, holy, you know, you kind of for, forget all the crap that you felt like you had some kind of stake in. Right. You know? Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I don't know anything about, you know. You know what's crazy? A concept recently that I'm having to kind of smack myself in the face with uh, is that notion of being born again. And I always thought it was absurd in, in the Christian context, but when Dave J. recently was talking about just erasing everything on the hard drive and being spiritually right. naked. I, I kind of feel like that's me. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm being born again and just like, all right, let's start from first principles. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Like when uh, in, the in the alchemical process or whatever, once all the, the dross is separated, well, what if all I got is dross? You know what I mean? Right. Like as you start kind of, if you imagine the body kind of, Reducing down to like a skeleton and then even further disintegrating. Pretty soon you're going to start kind of reaching out to grab that shit and pulling it back in, you know? It's uncomfortable. It's pretty scary looking shit, you know? Yeah, even things that I'm trying to talk to myself about, like using words, using language to, to try to learn. It's like, all right, well, what does that even mean? And, uh, you know, I hate to be one of those epistemological nihilists where it's like, oh, you just can't know anything. And, Oh, I gotta kick myself, uh, my my shin on the door to prove that I exist. I'm not going there, but at a certain level, like yeah, like, it's like you start really going down to the foundations, and it's like, all right, well, I gotta just reboot, control alt delete. You know, yeah, you gotta realize you don't. How often? I mean, I think part of the the process, quote unquote. Um, there's a certain point where you get to like this kind of reborn thing, where you're like, I don't even know what the words I'm using even, you know. Like, I'm going right. to stop using words. I don't know what they mean. I'm going to, you know, and every word that I'm not certain of its meaning, I'm going to look up, right? And, uh, man, when you do that, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in the dictionary. But it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing. But 
there was, I forget the name, I don't know if it was George Barkley or somebody was just basically saying, like, all right, they're not going to talk anymore. I don't know how accurate this is. I really have to go research it again, but it was a pretty prominent philosopher that was basically saying there's just, there's no point in even using words and talking. It's just, I'm just going to be mute for the rest of my life. <laughs> they're not going to, people aren't going to understand what you mean anyway, just like John said about the videos. You can make it, it can be crystal clear as glass. This is a rose. I painted it right here. And they're going to be like, this is some kind of, uh, John is, uh, this is a trick or it's some kind of, uh, yeah, thought experiment. Man, you know, some, a rose is just a rose sometimes, right? And uh, what Hitchcock say, a movie is just a movie. <laughs> and psyops are just psyops. Just a movie. It's not. <laughs> so what, uh, original simulation, what's your uh, take on 9-11, given the context of what we've just been chatting about? Oh, you know, the, uh, it's like the uh, media event to uh, further, uh, you know, an agenda and a narrative. Just like, what kind of agenda? What kind yeah, of uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, JLB was just talking about how this is kind of like an artwork that we, each of us can have subjective interpretations of, regardless of the overarching agenda. But I think at the time, you know, I haven't really thought much about that lately, but I remember at the time what came out of that was like this really hyper, uh, hyper uh, emphasis on the word security, you know? And before that, you didn't see that word that much. Then it was like this security meme. Everything was about security, and now it's now it's become just part of the part of the conversation. Like I don't even think about it anymore. But I think it was that part part of it was that the further this belief in an increased need for security. Um, and I'm, I don't know if it's to make people feel insecure or whatever. I don't know. But but what came out of it? What was that? You know? Whether that was it going in, I don't know. But uh, but. They're, they they passed the um, Patriot Act, came out really quickly after that. There was uh, raised a lot of funding for, again, security stuff, intelligence operations, the military, increased budgets. So, Can we yeah, just unpack those things? Though? So, like, the, the Patriot a Act. A practical is, application. But, but are these things practical? So, say the Patriot Act, this is a piece of legislation that most of us have never actually read. We've read about it. We haven't sat down and read it, and so does it actually directly affect Americans? Like, does it actually directly affect you? And then the increased budget for the military, well, whoever runs a show controls money, so money is no object to them. So it's something we're told about. We're told about increased budgets for the military, but in terms of a practical effect on anyone's life, uh, is there any way to verify the notion that these things are actually happening? Or are they just news stories? Could be. The volume of uh, the volume of liquid you can take on an airplane, just in terms of something pragmatic. Yep, and also the the number of steps you have to go through to get on a plane, right? That also seems to have increased. But is nine eleven really? Did all that time and effort go into it just so you can reduce how much toothpaste someone can take on a plane, or add right. add an extra twenty minutes of stops to get onto a plane? I mean, really, is that? No, I don't think that that's the reason. You know, no, I don't think the extra steps, but it's also possible that we might not be far enough away from the canvas yet to, to even be able to accurately say what it what it was. You know, it's the seed of something, maybe. And if it's well, original stimulant, you mind if I refer to you as OS? Is that okay? Because original yeah. stimulant, that's six syllables. That's that's uh, that's I'm a lazy man. So let's go with OS. Are you cool with that? <laughs> I am fine with it. Sweet. Do, do you mind if we do? 
Do you mind, Dante and I, uh, and you uh, all participating in like an informal induction for you into johnlebond.com? Oh. Right. Here's what we did. Here's what we did on the 9-11 call. We had one on Sunday, my time, so Saturday night, your time. We did our 9-11 anniversary call. And so what we did was we just went through five questions about 9-11 to see where people were at. And I was expecting more divergence because a lot of people disagree with my conclusions. So I was expecting more people to disagree with my premises. But it turns out pretty much everyone on the call, all it was like seven of us on the call, we all agreed on all of these premises. So it kind of, kind of surprised me a bit. I think on reflection, some people will look at that and they'll think, actually, yeah, there's something to this maybe we need to revisit our own our own conclusion if we all agree on the premises right so i'll ask you some simple questions about 9-11 they're not they're not trick questions mm-hmm. and we'll just see where it goes are you ready for this ready all right osama bin laden what do you make of this character do you think he was a real man do you think he was one man playing the role do you think he was several men playing a role do you think he existed outside of tv what's your opinion on osama bin laden but there's no way to know you know, but if, if if it were my take, he's just a he's a character. Okay, yeah, I should have. You know, you're right about that. I should have prefaced that. So these questions, they're not what can you prove to me. It's just like, what's your opinion? Because I think a lot of us get stuck on this idea of, oh well, I'm not going to say what I believe because then someone will try and make me prove it. So if no. we preface all of these questions with, you don't have to prove it to anyone. Just what is your honest take? What's your honest interpretation at this point in time? So I'll, let me make it easier for you. I'll tell you my interpretation of Osama bin Laden. He's a fake boogeyman. Doesn't exist anywhere but on television. It looks to me like they had several actors play the one character. So Osama bin Laden to me is just a fictional character. Now, is it possible that there actually was a real Osama bin Laden? Yeah, okay, it's possible. But I'm just telling you my interpretation based on what I've seen. No, fake boogeyman. Just the boogeyman in a made for TV movie. That's my interpretation right now. Okay. I mean... That's not, you know, not far off from mine. I mean, I, it's, I don't think it's really any, it's really dissimilar, except that, you know, I think it was just covered by saying I don't have any way to know, you know. And and it's kind of like I can't prove it to myself or I realize that there's no way I could know either way. I kind of just put it off to the side, you know, in that kind of unknowable and, and nebulous. But, you know, I assume that it's, uh, you know, a, uh, a uh, you know, a casting, a casting, uh, Casting director, you know, picks this guy. And oh, but I suppose, suppose we're going to watch um, the movie. Let me think of a movie we can all uh, we all know about. What's a movie with a very easy to identify bad guy? Let me think. Um, my mind's gone blank. Darth Vader. Oh, there you go. All uh, Star Wars, yeah. But then there's a whole twist at the end, so people try and argue with you about that one. Let's just think of one where there's just a very obvious bad guy in the film, uh, a very well-known film. Uh, predator. Predator. Um, okay, but in Predator, he, we don't we don't really know why that Predator dude is doing what he's doing. You know what I mean? uh, Batman, yeah, the, the Joker. Same problem. Same problem with Joker. Where someone is objectively evil. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, like, I, mean, I can't believe I'm, I'm struggling so much with this simple idea. Because they um, make it very, uh, you know, nebulous with regards to good and evil in a lot of those movies. Well, there's, there's, there's the gotta be a film. There's the Terminator. There's uh, you no. Know, you just stick to the first one. All oh, right, all right, cool, 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 cool. So original, the original Terminator, 1984, I think that one was. So the original one where Arnie's the bad guy. If you say to me, watch this film, and then at the end, tell me what you, what your interpretation of um, Terminator is, I'll tell you 
he's a fictional character. And then if you say to me, okay, well, is he a fictional character played by one people or two people? I'd say, well, looks to me like it was played by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger circa 1984. So a fictional character doesn't exist in real life. I will never interact with it in real life. Purely a boogeyman in a made-for-TV uh, or a made-for-cinemas made film, right? So when I talk about Osama Bin Laden being a boogeyman in a made-for-TV uh, movie, same thing, same thing. They're both the same thing to me. My only interaction with them is via the screen. So do you get what I'm trying yeah. to say here, like? Now, now, some people will come back and go, oh, but we know for a fact that Terminator was just a, a fictional boogeyman in the movie, whereas Osama Bin Laden, we don't know. It's like, okay, well, we can, we can argue knowledge and epistemology, yeah, but okay, let's, just be, let's just cut to the chase and put our cards on the table. I'm telling you, Osama Bin Laden, fictional boogeyman, not a real person, never a real person, completely fake boogeyman, in my opinion. I'd go with that. I don't know about the, the multiple characters playing him and stuff. I, I remember there being pictures where he looked different and stuff. I don't, I don't know. But, I, yeah, you know, for sure. I just want to say Barack called Obama. Up, called, called up from Central Casting. So, uh, so let's move on to the next one then. How about the planes that supposedly went into WTC 1 and 2? Do you think they were real planes? Do you think they were cartoon planes? Like, what's your opinion on that one? I mean, as far as, like, what, you're seeing, what you see on the, on the screen... Yeah, well, that's all I saw. I never yeah, saw anything in real life. Yeah, I just I saw the screen. I feel you. Uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, a rendering. I'm, uh, CGI or modeling or something. Yeah. So it's not, fake planes. Fake planes. Yeah, there's no, you can't hijack these planes, you know? It's just impossible. You can't get control of these planes. They're ridiculous. That, absolutely ridiculous. That, that takes it away from even before they even hit the tower. You can't manually take control of these things. It's just not possible, you know? So that precludes it all, you know. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think we're coming at this from opposite angles. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think we're coming at this from opposite So I'm just saying my own interaction with the planes is the TV footage, which is fake, clearly fake to me, Wiley E. Coyote style. So, like, if, if I show you an image of Wiley E. Coyote running into, uh, into a mountain and leaving behind a silhouette, and I say to you, what do you make of this? If you say to me, oh, well, it's physically impossible for a, a creature to leave a silhouette in rock, I'd be like, Mm, okay, but just look at the footage. The footage is fake, isn't it? That's all we need to know. Fake footage. You can either see it or you can't yeah, see yeah. it. Me, I say, that plane is fake. And now, if I'm talking to someone who can't see that, that's cool, but at that point, there's no need to carry the conversation on. You know what I mean? Any, any more than there is chatting with someone who thinks that Wiley E. Coyote is real. It's like, okay, I'm talking to a man. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I should just disconnect conversations I have with people in real life far sooner than I than I do. It's just like, all right, that's what you believe? Okay, conversation's over. Well, you know, Dante, I'm getting better at this, man. Like, I've still got a long way to go, but I used to spend inordinate amounts of time trying to converse with people who ultimately believed the most ridiculous nonsense. And it's like, it doesn't make them bad people, but why... They're not going to benefit from, from this conversation. I'm not going to benefit from it, so let's move on to the next topic. Do you know what I mean? Like, say with dinosaurs, for instance, if I'm talking to someone who truly believes in dinosaurs being real, once I've established that this is something that they're really going to question, why, why badger them with it? Like, what's the point? It doesn't help them. doesn't help me. Yeah, it's uh, masochism. Yeah, it's a waste of time, and we, and we only have so much time. Like, time is finite, so why... So why waste it? But, but so far with this one, I think OS is on the same page as, as myself and hopefully you as well, Dante. So Osama Bin Laden, I say fake character from start to finish. OS seems open-minded to that. Uh, the planes, 
fake from start to finish. OS seems open-minded to that. What about the towers? Do you think... So those towers are 110 stories tall, and most people believe that they were filled with offices and office equipment and people. Uh, do you believe that? Are you sort of are you familiar with hollow tower notion? Like, what's your opinion on this one? This one's, uh, that's, that's real new to me, and uh, I haven't given it much thought, but it doesn't seem unreasonable at all. Because, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of office building, a lot of office space isn't full, just in general, you know? So, you know, it doesn't seem unreasonable. I don't know about hollow. I don't, I don't know what that necessarily means. But, like, this is, that's a very new thing to me. So I never really thought much about it before, but I don't think it's... Oh, wow. Thing. When did you first hear about the hollow tower idea? Because it was fairly yeah. new for me, too. I only found about Maybe. that after I found Fakeologist. Yeah, me too. Maybe a month ago or something. Wow, so you're still pretty new to that one. Wow, did, did someone bring it up with you in, in an audio chat or did you read it on a blog or something? I think it was Ab talking about it in a, in a, in a call I was listening to. If you like this audio and want to support the site in a small or big way, please hit the PayPal Donate button on the side of the Fakeologist.com webpage. You can show your support for as little as $1.19 a month by subscription or one-time donation. Thank you for your support. So how did you, when you first heard this um, hollow tower idea, like what was your first response? Do you remember your first sort of thought that went through your head when you heard this? Uh, think, thinking that it was possible. Thinking oh, really? That, thinking, thinking that it was something I hadn't thought about before. If by hollow you mean kind of occupied, right? Like, is, is that what it means or does it mean like completely empty, nothing in it at all? Well, it's funny you ask that because that's exactly what we were discussing on our call because it turns out people were using the word hollow tower to mean different things. So... Right. We, Bell Set and I were sort of talking about this, and some people seem to be using the word hollow tower to describe, well, there was no one in there. Like, there was no offices in there, or very few, like, just enough to make it look real, but overall it was um, hollow of people and equipment, and other people seem to be using the word hollow tower more to describe the structural notion of hollowness. So right, I guess it varies. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, I but think I think the reason yeah. why I think, the reason why I think I was able to engage with this idea more was because I heard of the idea of hollow towers either at the same time or near about seeing that image. There's a really well-known image. I'll post it in the show notes or in the audio chat for this one. It shows the sunlight behind the Twin Towers. And you can see right through the towers. Now, this is only one photo, and it could be doctored, or it could be from when the buildings were still being built, or there could be some other explanation. But the towers look completely hollow. So when you see that... It's it's easier to imagine it, I suppose, if you get what I'm trying to say. But I think a lot of people, when they're first encountered with this idea of hollow towers, it's they've never questioned it. So they're just they're so certain that the buildings were real buildings that were full. The idea of hollow towers must be just too too far too far for them at first. I think a while ago I, I had my own uh, kind of tongue in cheek 9/11 theory that there were no towers on 9/11. You know, and now uh, maybe maybe that's going to come to fruition. But. I don't think I don't. I never looked back into it. Once I heard the hollow thing, I, I wasn't that interested. You know what I mean? I it's once you know it's kind of fake. It's like I don't know. I don't keep digging back into it. You know what I mean? I don't keep going back to the to the well. Like I'll, uh, when I heard of it, I didn't go immediately try to explore the idea. I just kind of thought about it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I agree with you, but I think there's a few points where there's like plateaus to understanding. 
And a huge distinction is whether people died or not. But that's not what we're talking about, I don't think. We're talking about whether there was... Well, it is related. It is related, though. I mean, like, if we're talking about that there was no people in the towers, and then subsequently, regardless of the fake planes, if they blew the towers up, and it makes it's in terms of the, the bridge to connect the dots between somebody dying and somebody not dying, it's far more plausible if there was nobody in the towers to begin with to then go to the conclusion that nobody died, nobody got hurt. I'm not there yet. I'm still not there. Nobody died, nobody got hurt for my own reasons. And I, I, I know for a fact, from my own fact, there, well, I can't speak for the day of 9-11, but not all the towers, not all the offices. But I am open-minded to the fact that a good chunk of the building could have been empty. Because every time you had to go up to the top, you it literally went from floor one to floor 47 or something. And you had to cross over to the elevator bank on the other side of the hall and then go up to the top. So there could have been several dozen floors empty. Like, but I know there were other offices in there for sure. I've been inside the buildings. But um, but you most of the places lease like a whole floor, right? Isn't that how – I mean, a floor nah, – Dude, those are huge. They were huge, man. Like, you could – you don't have to lease the whole floor. Well, like, law. Like, trading – there's no um like yeah, I can't even how to explain it. But there what was the place what was the the massive place that all the people they had all the employees? Um Canner Fitzgerald. Canner Fitzgerald, right. I dude I I have a friend that interviewed there. Like I this was again, I just I just know that uh I know that there were things that existed there. In terms of that day, people could have been told not to come to work, they could have been disbanded prior, but like I just from people in my life, I just I I remember I remember physically being in there. I've been to win Boston night on Thursday nights. Uh, Michael Skernick Wines, he was a sommelier there. And, like, uh, to this day, I know somebody that knows that used to work at Michael Skernick Wine Distribution. He allegedly had people he knew who died in the towers. I don't know. I can't verify any deaths. But the point, the larger point, the, the, the focus that I'm trying to emphasize is, like, in terms of just dismissing everything, I think this point is important of whether or not there was actually any any of you know, for a lot of the stuff in terms of being like the corporations that were allegedly there were actually having physical bodies in there that day. I think that's a big point. I think I'd always assumed that they didn't, that no one was in the tower, which is how how no one died, no one got hurt. You know what I mean? You, you, if you have a controlled demolition, you don't have people in the building. I mean, I mean but I guess you could. I, I don't know. I guess you could just spring it on them. But, but it would have uh, had I, a bit of they would have had been wired weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, right? It takes a long time to wire them. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. I'm not going to go on to it because I know Joe V will smack me in the face, but it it just just drives me insane that people, for example, can accept that the towers look like they were blown up, and their conclusion is, oh, well, they must have wired them that day because it was risky. It's like, dude, it takes weeks to wire these buildings, like any building. You can verify that with any controlled demolition company. Like it's. Clearly, if it was done in advance, then the event was contrived in advance. Well, of course it was. I, I mean, mean, it's, it's just, it's just like unbelievable. In my opinion. I mean, but if some, there's a notion that, like, uh, from, from the construction, that, uh, that from the construction of the building, that, that this kind of stuff was inbuilt into it at that time. But I don't know. I mean, that's a long time for, for wires and stuff. You'd have to have it, you'd have to have them inspected and to make sure everything went off without a hitch. But yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that's that hard once the, 
once the stuff's already there, then you then you well, just just to then you put the sorry, just to clarify something, like when Dante says JLB will uh, smack me in the face, we Dante and I agree on a lot of things and we disagree on a lot of things, and that's healthy. And Dante, Chad, Mezzi, Fung, there's a few people on my side. We've been chatting uh, off the air for like a year now about a lot of things, and then that became the member calls, which are on, like we record them now. And I think one area where Dante and I disagree is the amount of time that we spend lamenting the uh, the, the state of what we call the normies or the... I, I probably spend too much time lamenting the conspiratards, and Dante is right to criticise me for that. And I think Dante spends too much time lamenting the normies. So, I mean, it's really two sides of the same coin, Dante. And hopefully, hopefully in a year's time, you never even hear me complaining about the conspiratards. And hopefully we never hear you complaining about the normies and we just accept that this is, uh, this is how the world is. And I think I'm getting better. Like, I don't think I complain about the conspiratards that much these days. In fact, who was it who started the 37 Things Conspiratards Believe post a few days ago? That wasn't me. Well, it was an idea that popped up. Uh, in the it was park. a great idea, Dante. And I don't want to spoil Did anything you for that? you, but... That's brilliant. Who, who came up with that one? Dante? Yep. Oh, it's brilliant, man. Oh, hilarious. It is. It's, it's well done, Dante. I think it's well done. And I don't want to spoil anything much. for you, but I happened to have discussed 37 Things Conspiratards Believe with the Silver Fox. Lindsay himself has made an appearance on camera. Uh, earlier today, we recorded a video, and we went through your list of what the Conspiratards Believe. So uh, stay tuned for that one. And yeah. I think every now and then it's healthy. Like, it's okay. It's almost cathartic every now and then to lament. Well, not lament, but just explore the state of the normies of the conspirators, but I think, yeah, maybe I spend too much time on the tards and you spend too much time on the on the normies. Fair so that, just for the context for the listeners, that's what we're talking about here. It's that's fair done. criticism. It's fair criticism. It's just, it blows me away. It continues to baffle me. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. And uh, regarding the idea, I mean, I have my moment. All I can say, I don't know if it's uh, <laughs> if it's so, so brilliant, but it would just made perfect sense to have a corollary to the 37 things normies believe. It does make perfect sense. I can't believe that I didn't think of it sooner. You know how sometimes someone comes up with an idea and you think, well, that's brilliant, but really I should have thought of that? This is a classic example. And then as soon as you posted it, Chad and Nate chimed in with their own. It was perfect. I had a half dozen more. Specifically with related to numbers, I thought of a few yesterday. I was like, Numbers are e- there's certain numbers that are evil that whenever used the, the person issue is one of my favorites. Yeah, six 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 thirty three evil numbers. Evil symbols, evil numbers. Evil. So, OS, had you seen that list of thirty thing, uh, thirty seven things? Had you? You already seen that? Thirty seven things that normies believe are conspiracy. Either of them, yeah. No, 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 I haven't seen either. Um, oh, okay. I'd heard you go over some of the the normie ones before, but the uh, the conspiracy one is one of them, like. Uh, Agents, agents are after you. Yeah, that's the first one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> top of the list. Top of the top of the heat. OS, did you? Uh, I, I would like to let JLB finish the five questions, but uh, have you interacted with Unreal? Um, not, not really. I don't. Uh, think. I, I hope if this is being recorded, I hope he uh, hears it and therefore can say I am not Marcus Allen. <laughs> Yeah, but he still could say that you're Marcus Allen because yeah. you could be using a, a voice morpher. Voice morpher. And, and even if you're not uh, Marcus Allen, great. It just means that whoever pays 
him has paid you to come and act as Dante. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. But once someone is convinced of the paid shills meme, they will they can do all kind of hamster wheeling to maintain belief. It's phenomenal. So nothing you or I say or do is uh, is going to change that, and that's just the way it is, you know. So, uh, OS, I'll let JLB continue the five questions. I think you've gone through Osama bin Laden and the fake planes. Um, yeah, so, and, and the buildings, which apparently OS is only just new to the buildings. So if you're new to Hollow Towers, is it, am I, am I, is it a fair thing to guess that you're new to the idea that they were built to be brought down as well? That's not, uh, well, that's not that new um, to me, but that maybe they were built to be brought down on that specific day and all that stuff, is that, if that's what you mean. I don't. That's that's new to me. N- newer. Um, it's not something I've really thought much about, but with the controlled demolition thing, you know, everything only, you know, they weren't built to last forever. You know what I mean? Things only have a X amount of, like... Uh, sure, but, but there's a perspective, and I happen to share this perspective, which is that those buildings were basically just props, gigantic props in a gigantic movie, a world, a worldwide significant movie. And and they were built from the start to be brought down on September 11, 2001. Right, doesn't this, uh, there the picture of David Rockefeller with the watch? It's on like yep. 9-11 or two. Yeah. On the front of Newsweek. Yep. Yeah, I remember that stuff. Um, it's not outside the realm of possibility at all. So it's just not something I gave uh, gave much consideration to being that specific day and stuff. But it doesn't it doesn't fall out of accord. You know? All right, then. And then the final of the five questions. Uh, the story is that 3,000 people died, or close enough. What is it, 2,900 and... What is it? Very close to 3,000. Let's round it up for the sake of argument. Do you believe people died or got hurt on 9-11? Like, what's your opinion on this on this element? I mean, I think the other questions already... The other answers already answered the question. I mean, there's no one in the thing. There's no one in the building. There's no one in the planes, you know? I mean, there could have been some... Uh, some uh, Collateral damage. Yeah, some accidents or something, you know, on, on set. But other than that, no, I don't think it was, I don't think those numbers are uh, real at all. At all. Hmm, interesting. Know, all right, like, then, and then a bonus question. A bonus question that you won't have seen coming. People say that, oh, 9-11 was used to justify a war. They went to the Middle East. They went and got uh, Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan. And they went and got uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq. You know, 9-11 was a false flag that was used as a pretext to go and capture oil fields and this kind of thing, because because Saddam Hussein was going to sell his oil in uh, euros rather than petrodollars, right? This is a very common trope mm-hmm. that you'll hear in the conspiracy culture. Do you believe that 9/11 was used to uh, to justify a, a real war in the Middle East? Um, I'll, yeah, I'll go first because I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on, on the spot here, man. So let me tell you what I think. There you go. On television, that's what they kept saying. You know what I mean? From, from the from the backwards perspective, when President Bush was talking about the invasion of Afghanistan and uh, going into Iraq, that was what he said. No, now do I believe that he was telling what he believed to be the truth or something? No, you know he's obviously just uh, reading a script too. But you know that's what that was that was the line that was pushed was that it was was it really? Oh, I think they were going to do what they did anyway. That's just you know, long term planning. And as far as that oil thing is interesting, then they go, like, the first thing they do over there is, like, loot all the museums. So, I don't know. I think there's some kind of weird religious uh, religious uh, side to it all, to be honest. Mm, interesting. So, interesting. There. so the reason why I was, and we went through these questions, all of us on the panel, for our call a couple of days ago, is 
I'm at the position where I don't believe anyone died or got hurt. They could have, but based on what I've seen, I don't think so. And I also don't believe they went to war. I don't believe there was a war. If you watch the footage of the bombing of Baghdad, it's a joke. And all of it's a joke. I don't believe any of it. So I don't actually have any reason to think 9-11 is a bad thing. But it's it's basically taken for granted in this scene that it's a bad thing. Now, if it really was used to justify a war where innocent people died, of course that's bad. And if on the day of 9-11, people actually did get killed as part of the event, of course that's bad. But if you don't believe anyone died or got hurt, and you don't believe in war, suddenly this is a this is a piece of artwork that carries no uh, inherent negative um, connotations. No value judgment, right? No, yeah, no, no, no value judgment necessary because no no one died, no one got hurt. Right. Um, and, yeah, so, and so the reason why I was asking those questions in that succession was I actually expected people to disagree. We had so many people on the call. I thought someone here is bound to believe in planes or they're bound to believe in something, right? And uh, Chad, we're just getting some feedback. That's the way. So, but in the end, it turned out that most people on the call agreed with with all of those premises that you know the planes are cartoons, that the buildings were relatively empty, all these kinds of things. And yet, when we got to the conclusion, that's where there was disagreement. That's where people still say, no, it's a bad thing because it was deception. It's a bad thing because they convinced people people died. And and I'm open to those interpretations. But it is interesting when you just go through the premises one after another. It's like, why do we have such if you think people died, okay, that's cool. But a lot of people don't believe anyone died, and they still see 9/11 as a bad thing. And it's like, well, why? Why is it a bad thing if no one died? You know, and I guess that's the idea I'm trying to explore. Judgment in the first place. Why, why is there a need to think that everything has to have a value judgment on it? I think this is a big, like, something that conspiracy culture kind of exploits uh, in a negative way. Is that like moralizes things that like it, it takes the piss out of something, but then it still tries to leave you with this hangover of like. It's evil. I mean, Very well said. Maybe, maybe, it is. maybe it is evil. I don't know. But they don't explore why. You know, where's the exploration of, of, uh, of why? Where's the, what, what's the meta? And, you know, what, what are we getting at? What's the bigger thing? What's the bigger evil? Is it just deception? Is deception evil? I mean, not objectively at all. Just, you know, it's, it's totally, uh, totally subjective. Oh, Wes, I think you were going to fit right in at johnthebond.com. And uh, I don't know if you mind me saying this, but you signed up to my website like a few hours ago, didn't you? I did, yep. Well, it's great to have you on board. So what I'm going to do is, in the next, I'm pretty busy, but in the next couple of days, I'm going to cut this out and upload it as a, one of those JLB chats. And this is like an informal induction. And wouldn't you believe it, almost as though this was orchestrated by plan from higher-ups, we've been joined by Chad628 as well. So we've got half of the OG crew from johnthebond.com here right now to say hello at fakeologist.com. Well, <laughs> Dante, well, explain yourself. Chad, explain yourself. I was what waiting for Chad. You turn up right now. I was I was waiting for Chad. I thought that was uh, an Chad to talk. Oh, I just had a fantastic night. I won't ask specifics because I know you're married, and I don't want to be disrespectful. Oh no, it's 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 actually <laughs> quite a harmless story. <laughs> but it's it's a very nice story. I, I I'm a hero to an old woman tonight. Oh, I thought this was going to be another story about Ernest. I was looking forward to it. So I tried to explain to Ernest that this is physically impossible. And you know, Ernest just can't see it. So this is, well, this is really funny, actually. It's kind of all on topic. Um, first of all, this is the 9-11 anniversary. So I, I started to talk about 9-11 with my wife and started to tell her some of the theories. And she thinks I'm absolutely mad. And, uh, 
you know, especially with, with the nobody died thing. And so, uh, I actually, on the way, we went out tonight to, uh, a food truck event on, on the Sonoma where you sit outside. We, I meet my friend Ernest. We have a picnic. Uh, we drink wine. We go out and buy a food truck, uh, or a meal from a food truck. There's like several there. It's a farmer's market every Tuesday at this town. And, uh, so, <laughs> I was listening to the fakeologist call earlier on our way there and forced her to listen to the whole thing um, in, the, in the car speaker system. And she was just thinking, you know, she's, she's trying to convince me that teach me a lesson that, that some things just happen that, that don't have an explanation. And so something else happened that she tried to tie it into. She's trying to teach me a lesson, which I don't agree with. But anyway, the story is, we, we, we set up our little chairs in the grass where we usually sit and, and uh, our table and we were drinking our wine and this old woman and her daughter came up and said, excuse us, we hate to bother you, but we were here a week ago and my mother lost her ring that she had from her great grandmother and we were sitting in this general area. And she says, did you guys happen to see anything? And uh, we said, no, we just got here, but we'll keep a lookout. So, you know, they're all kind of looking around, and I start, I, I look down, I start to look down, and I'm poking around the glass, grass, and, and can you freaking believe it? Within 20 seconds, I found this woman's ring in the grass. And I said, oh, do you mean this ring? And she lit up like a Christmas tree. You could not believe how happy she was that I found this ring. So you made someone's day. I made someone's day, and I mean, she, and they, they were like bringing me champagne and bringing me like little things to eat, and, and uh, it was really actually quite charming. The great thing about things like that is that you get to spend the rest of the day just thinking, I really am a good person. I really am such a good person. Well, <laughs> whenever, I do, whenever I do a good deed, I just spend the rest of my day going, see, just more evidence to add to my list. I am just such a good person. It's not so much that, but it was, it's, to make a, a, a woman's night like that was makes you feel good. That's all. It's and so there's a champagne that they bring you afterwards. You know, put those two together, and wow, what a buzz! <laughs> well, well earned, like Frodo with the ring. You emerge from that thing, right? And you're like, here it is. This is no, it's awesome, and and it's nice that they like gave you the food and stuff. That's awesome. That's what. They oh yeah, about. no, no, it was really just. It was just, I was just so happy because you could tell she was very upset. So she's an old woman, and this is a ring from her great-grandmother. So imagine that, you know, how old this ring must be. Um, and they were they were in shock. Well, Chad, it's clearly not older than 200 years. Unless well, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, real quickly, uh, JLB and OS, uh, on that fifth and final question or the extra bonus question, I don't, again, we could chat, we could go back into your story real quick, but before I forget, let me just utter this. Do you, JLB, do you not think that troops went over to Afghanistan and Iraq? No, and I suspect that some did. I suspect that some did. But the question is, what were they doing over there? Yes, but, and, the, but and, and war, war involves two or more groups of people truly trying to kill each other. And I don't believe there are two or more groups in the world. I think they're all controlled by... I think all of the militaries are ultimately controlled by the same group of people. And to me, to me it's fairly obvious that that's the case. Right, but in right. terms of the story, I'm just... In terms of, like, getting more granular with that fifth and final question, 
the narrative was that all right, these you know hijackers and evildoers and terrorist groups are over there, and henceforth we need to go over there. The fact that we did actually go over there is like connective tissue between the event and the subsequent. Sure, uh, but what other countries were the American troops or Australian troops in? You see what I'm trying to say? It's not like it's not like they had to have a story to justify sending troops. If they had just sent the troops over there for whatever reason, without 9-11, what difference does that make to the world? Is anyone going to protest? Is anyone going to say, no, you can't send the troops over there. You need to justify it. That's not how the world works. There could be... How would you or I know where American or Australian troops are right now as we speak, with or without justification? So do you see it's, they're completely unrelated things in that sense? Like there's a disconnect there. So the idea that you need to have an event to justify doing something that you could just as easily do without telling anyone, or even if you did tell them, what are they going to do about it? You don't need an event to justify something that you can do anyway. No, but there was a whole rallying cry, like a marshalling of support of the, the general population to go send troops to go uh, vindicate the, this event. But so, but so what? Like a rallying cry and then, and then the, the masses, some of them support the so-called war, some of them don't support. What difference does it make? No difference whatsoever. Now, if you said to me, well, we could look at the um, enlistment rates, the total numbers of people in the in the military following 9-11, and they got a huge spike, now we might have something to work with here because ultimately they want employees in their uh, reconstruction or rebuilding or uh, logistics organisation, whatever the military really is. Because they're not fighting real wars. Let's get that fact straight right from the start, right? But whatever they are, they want employees. So if this could be like a huge... Um, Enlistment drive, do you know what I mean? What better way to advertise the military than convince people that we need more employees, more servicemen to fight a war? Of course, none of these people are going to fight a war, but that doesn't really matter. They're signing up, right? So, right. so that I could buy into. But in why terms of... Since they control the money, why not just offer them not have to have the pretext of war and terrorism? Like if there's just I don't know how it is in, in the US, but in Australia, the military is already pretty well paid, especially when you include bonuses and that kind of thing. It wasn't so hot before, before unless you were an officer or like a career. You know, it wasn't so hot as it was after nine eleven. They had massive bonuses. Um, you know, well, you for contractors, you're talking about contractors, right? Or no, two, for enlistment too. For, for enlistment too, they were, you know, they were really driving it up. But the, I think the, the point is that like uh, the, the idea that like there doesn't need to be a story is kind of like you know stories are important to people, really important. You know. Well, I think that's why there's all the national pride is why a lot of people do them. Oh, defending the country, and, and you get social validation out of it. Like, oh, he's going to think I'm a hero. Well, that's that's for them too. But I mean, like, just the 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 why and all that stuff. Just having a having a story is, you know, having a myth is very important. You yep, I completely agree. And it and seems to me that like nine eleven, insofar as it has a, a practical use, the authority has to be the author of a story. Author, Eti, they have to give a story yep. to the masses. And what is a grander story than a strike at the heart of New York by a boogeyman in a cave who we now need to see as our enemy? Like, what's a greater story? And, of course, it's like any good story. You've got your good guys and your bad guys, but it's open to interpretation. Maybe the bad guys are the Americans after all. Maybe they even did a false flag. It's all fake, right? So it's still a story that is open to interpretation, just like Star Wars right? Just like the Joker in Batman. So you've got your service level narrative, good versus bad, 
Then you've got your alternative interpretation, bad versus good, but ultimately you've still got the people uh, focusing their attention on the story, and that's what the authority has to do is give people the story. That's what think, I think. Do you think that the people on the show that gave us the story were just creating artwork, or do you think that there was a specific agenda of recruiting construction? Well, I, I think that's a good question. I think like any storytellers, like if, if you're weaving a story, sometimes you like to have an esoteric you know, story in there that people, only some people will ever get. And you, you fully understand. I mean, even I'm a nobody. I'm a complete nobody with almost no audience. Even I do it sometimes with my thumbnails, just to see if anyone gets what I'm doing. Like I'll put something in a thumb, a thumbnail of a video it might take me half an hour. And there'll be something in there and I'll think, well, maybe one day somebody will get that and they'll get a laugh out of it. You know what I mean? Or they'll, they'll understand the, the double meaning that's going on here. And I'm a nobody. So these guys are telling the grandest story of the modern age. I think, yeah, they've probably got some esoteric ideas in there. Esoteric ideas to do with what is good and what is evil. You know, what is, what is the good beyond the evil? What is life? How does life begin? What is time? I think there are some of these ideas embedded esoterically within 9-11, for sure. The, seed, the seeds, but, at least, right? I, I think if you can identify the seeds, then, then the, the, they'll be like, well, I mean, if they can, like, put the certain seeds in, they can have a good idea what will germinate from them, or, you know, w- where it will go, where it could go, you know? It's, it's not going to be uh, completely out of, their, out of control, you know? Like you say, the, 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 the idea that the bad, the bad guy might be the good, you know? Little bits of that stuff. Who is the freedom fighter? Who is the terrorist? You know, little sprinklings of that. It doesn't. On top of this Manichaean struggle, good and evil. Like underneath that is is the little stuff. But it's the same story forever and ever. It's the exact same story. You know, it just it has some very basic elements. Well, they may sprinkle esoteric elements into it. But my question, again, not a contentious question. I'm just curious as to your perspective. Do you think that having these soldiers in terms of Raising the recruitment levels to. No, I'm not saying that was the case. Like I said to you with that question, I said, if you could show me that their enlistment numbers went up, then I'd be open to that as like telling, telling the story of war to get more men into the military. I'm just saying that like that's something where maybe you could make a case. I'm not saying that's actually my belief. And I said that in response to when you said, oh, well, do you think there's a war going on over there? Like maybe this was used to justify getting the people over there. And I'm like, they can get the people over there whenever they want. They could send however many people they want right now to any country in the world. Who's going to stop them? You sign up for the military, you go wherever you're posted. And in terms of we, the masses, the non-military masses, the civilians, we're never stopping them doing that. So they don't need to give us a fake story to justify sending people overseas. They need to. We're not going to do anything to stop it. We don't care. So this, this idea, cause there's this narrative within conspiracy culture of, oh, no, they had to do 9-11 to justify going to war. And I'm saying that war is fake. And then you can say, oh, well, they had to do 9-11 to justify sending the troops over there. No, they don't need to justify it. They can just do it. That's what the military does. There's no need to justify it. It's very do you see the point I'm It's very cause and effect, and I don't think cause and effect is provable. You know what I mean? Like, cause and effect, you can trace it back to, 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 to the beginning. You know what I mean, like, how, where does cause and effect is like, uh, because of this, if this, then that, is what I like to say, right? If this happened, then that happened, and that's why. But that's not how things work, is it? You know, like they had to do this because they had to do that. Well, that leaves a lot of room for like that's a fragile kind of thread to to hang it all on. Like, don't you need to maintain the morale of thousands of troops that that think that they're enlisted and staying overseas, away from their families, whatever, just because they think they're defending the country? 
think yeah, and that's, that's good. So now we're getting back to that practical sense of telling the story for the actual military itself or for the defence force itself, whether it is to increase the numbers who are in there or uh, decrease the numbers who are quitting. Now we're talking about like a practical sense of the actual employees of the military. This right. is very different to having to justify it to the masses. No, no, they, I they, can, they can do it. They can do it. They can send their military wherever they want, man. It's they don't need to fake a boogeyman to do that. I mean, I mean, like say Japan right now. How many American troops are in Japan right now? Japan's not the enemy, but they've got bases in Japan. So you don't need hostile boogeymen to justify people in the country. They're doing the already. They already have people in the Middle East. But the sto- the narrative is that the imperialistic Japs attacked us. Therefore, we have to keep our foot on their throat, even if we release the pressure, you know, and have cordial relations over the last several decades. Oh, you don't think that's really the narrative still, do you? That's not really. No, I'm just saying in terms of the in the the armed forces that are all, at all these bases all around the world, their their motivations to stay a part of this corporation, I think, is part and parcel to them being a active participant in the defense of America and America's values. At least all the people that have that I've interacted with that have worked in the military in any capacity, they, they think they're doing their duty and they think it's a noble cause. And they also get a lot of admiration from friends, family, ex, you know, their extended community. Uh, oh, he served this country, you know, like let's, they all get to thank you. Oh, thank you for serving. And, you know, they get genuflected too. So it's a there's just a certain social status to it as well. America is a very militaristic company, our country, you know, company. But I mean, we're very. It's not like where's the last unjust war in America? People still supported Vietnam, you know. Oh, of course, they they, they want the bloodshed. <laughs> I remember hearing okay, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day talk with family. People would be like, I don't care if we invade Iran. It's like really. You know, carefully invade Iran, and that results in tens of thousands of deaths. Oh, no. Because they're not innocent. Because there's this of idea of, like, who, there's no innocent. Man, it's Manichaean, the Manichaean other, you know? You're always the good guy. There's, but no, there's it, no ability to conceive that someone else could be the good guy. It's just utterly impossible. So t- just taking one follow-up question to JLB, what, uh, okay, so let's just say that it was to maintain morale to uh, reduce recidivism in the forces or in, increase enlistment. For, and if it's just a matter of, uh, you know, demolition, reconstruction, whatever the purposes may be for having this, you know, uh, employment force, do you feel that's justified? Just for whatever, if, if they're not killing anybody, they're not harming anybody, and they're just there for construction efforts, like, you could just use the free market for whatever construction efforts that you need, right? I think 9-11 demonstrates, I think if 9-11 is a simulation, then 9-11 demonstrates what the free market actually is. That it's to the, the ability, it's like the, it's like hyper libertarian fucking paradise. It's the ability to like put a fake movie on TV, convince people it's real, and the free market says, by God, you know, blow up the military budget do what it takes by any means necessary because there's no constraints on the forces of market. The hand of God moves all things and the market dictates what's right. And, uh, you know, and by God, there we are. Uh, I think that's like, that would be like the uh, reflection of the free market. Yeah. I mean, the military is just the arm of the free market. 
And to think it's and, and to say that it's any kind of military thing too is like the military in America is only like one per, less than one percent of the population is in the military. That's a, I mean maybe it's a, a, a big a big event to to galvanize that less than one percent, but like you know at the same time uh, probably could have done something a little smaller than that. You know I think that the, that the effect on the overall population is is uh, at least equally as important. Whatever effect that was going to be or whatever. For interpretation, I guess, but you know, there was some. You still have all these multi-billion-dollar corporations making defense weaponry, and you have all the administrative staff. I mean, it's it's the tentacles reach far and wide. They they do, sure, sure. But as far as like active service, and you know, called up the reserves, the active service. I'm not talking about like the uh, the, the whole octopus because that's just undergirds the entire infrastructure of America. Is everything. Everything is, is the military-industrial complex. So um, the military-industrial-educational medical freaking complex. Uh, but as far as, like, galvanizing the active duty people. But that's what, again, it's like the mil- America is a military, militaristic country. It's, just, it's inbred in it. So it's very, uh, you know, it, it's been, uh, I heard this guy describe America as a, the prison rape culture, you know? It's just very aggressive. Oh. Yeah, no, but what, what I guess what I'm trying to get at, and maybe I've been ineffective thus far in communicating it, is okay. So it's not let's just say it's not required for this event to rationalize why we're allocating X number of troops over to that region. They can just allocate those that troop the troops to that region regardless of what the, the masses think or whether they need a justification. Okay, so then what are they doing over there? You know, if it's just one group that's running the show. Well, what the hell do you need people over there all of a sudden that weren't necessarily over there prior? Yeah, excellent question. And so how many more people were really sent to the Middle East than were already there? Because we're told these outrageous invasion numbers of tens of thousands of uh, extra troops, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe, but I have no evidence that that's the case. None whatsoever. Infrastructure. So so even, even the number of troops that were sent to me is just part of the story. It's all part of the same story. So you asked me, did any troops go over there? And I said, yeah, from what I can gather, there are people out there who claim to have gone, and uh, why not? Why not? Why can't they have gone? You know, I've, I've met a few people in the military who claim to have been sent to one place or another, but off the top of my head, I can't remember any of them saying that they'd been to Afghanistan or Iraq, but, but I'm happy to accept that some people have been sent over there, but is there anywhere near the number that we're told? And I mean, that's what I'm saying. We've just got such little evidence to go by, don't we? We have, we have such little what it, direct what, what, what would your like, uh, spidey sense say is the rationale for why they're doing all this? Like it, it's just one thing to have an occult ritual, but like, you, like uh, OS was saying, the octopus is fairly large and it's well entrenched in not just like the army, but in the military industrial complex, the administrative staff, the, you know, all, all the extensions. Um, you know, what's for all for what? If they run the show, why keep up this facade? Like Civilization has to be built somehow by somebody. You know, and it's not a bunch of people who don't even speak the language. You know, you're not going to go over there to speak to these guys in, in Farsi or whatever. You can send a bunch of people that speak English. You know, somebody's got to build the road. Somebody's got to, you know, or to, to rebuild the road, to, to build it differently to a way that's like, you know, more... uh more adapted to the to the plan for the future, you know. But in a militaristic fashion, like if they again, if they're all 
in cohorts, like if all their the, the these nations are all under the you know uh, a, like the capstone of who's running the show, why does it need to be such a militaristic operation? Like it just be because uh, those people, well, those people it comes down to what is the military though, isn't it? So we're told that Australia has a military and the US has a military and that all these countries have militaries to fight each other. And it's a nice story that we get told. And sometimes they go and fight boogeymen in caves and that kind of thing. But ultimately, if there's a, a pe- group of people at the top of society who control most of society, they, they control, like a small group have a disproportionate amount of control over the way that the world works, it still makes sense that they would want to have a bunch of foot soldiers at their disposal, whether that is for benevolent purposes, like cleaning up after tornadoes or cyclones, or it is for potentially defence purposes, like what if there was an insurrection? What if there was a group of people who tried to take over the tops, the tops, the top rung? They still want to have a group of people who are well-trained in uh, reconstruction, in uh, working as a group to fight a common enemy, even if there is no common enemy. But if you had that group and you didn't give them enemies to fight, then uh, then that doesn't... Then you get the masses. It's too obvious to the masses. So you can just tell the masses, look... These groups are to fight the other group's bad guys, and you need us to to control these people to fight the other group's bad guys. So it's all still storytelling, but even if the people who run the show were completely benevolent, it's still in their interest to have uh, a group of foot soldiers, isn't it? So the stories are all about convincing the masses that the foot soldiers are, are for their defence, for their benefit, when really it's ultimately to do the bidding of the people at the top. Like, even if they were benevolent, even if I was in charge of the whole world, you said I have to be in charge and uh, I have to run the whole thing, whether I like it or not, well, I would still choose to have a bunch of foot soldiers, again, to reconstruct after cyclones, or just in case a group of people do go crazy, I want to maintain my spot at the top of society. I need some people to call on just in case, even though it's unlikely to ever happen, even if I'm completely benevolent. How do you justify that? How do you justify having that group of foot soldiers who ultimately do not a lot of work, like they're not a lot of, uh, like we imagine in the military, oh, they spend their days, you know, practicing firefights. That's not what happens in the military, not from what I've heard. They don't spend their nine till five, you know, practicing their, they're in firefights. Maybe the elite groups, like the commandos or whatever, maybe they spend a lot of time in like serious um, practice of that sort. But the people who just work in logistics or whatever, no, it's just like a, it's just like a regular job, bro. But they're getting paid by the people who run the show. To, uh, to do what they're doing. Well, how do you justify that? How do you, what story do you weave? Oh, well, they're, they're the guys who will protect us if we ever go to war with the bad guys because they've got one of these militaries too, you see. And, and what I'm telling you right now is exactly what George Orwell writes about in both 1984 and Animal Farm. So what I'm saying is not new or novel or uh, creative. This is, you know, this, this idea that the, the armies, we're told that they're to fight the other armies, but they really just international foot soldiers for the uh, for the people who run the show. This is not this is not new. And to me it's not even controversial, it's pretty obvious. What are your suspicions as to when this all kind of amalgamated into one hierarchy if our documented history only goes back to three hundred years? Was this spontaneous? Well, I've, I've got no more idea than you, man. Like what what you're really asking there is about the history host itself. And well, uh, I'm just trying to c- c- combine the two in terms of... They are combined. They, they, they're directly related to each other. Who are the people who are giving us the stories about history? From what I can gather, it's the same establishment who control the very same foot soldiers we just spoke about. But 
I'm sure you've asked me this question 50 times now, Dante, and every, every time I answer you the same way, I've got no more to go on than you do here. When did this all start? Greg, Greg Carwood on THC asked me the same question. It's like, bro, I have, I'm, I'm at a loss. I've got no more evidence to go on than you do, you know? Like, I've spent more time going through the official story and showing why it's silly, but that doesn't give me any uh, alternative story that I can offer you in its place. I, I understand that, and I'm not criticizing you for it, unfortunately. Oh, I know it's not a criticism. I know it's not a criticism, but it's just like the same question over and over. It's like, bro, how... how it'd be like me asking you when did this all start. What, why would I ask you? How would you know? Because well, no, when people ask me, like, how the hell would I know? I, I'm just asking, because on a couple of occasions, you've said that you've had your suspicions about X or Y, so I was curious if you had any suspicions based on your research as to, you know, the origins of when it became one group because clearly there's a lot of different well, you know, why do we assume there was ever more than one group though why, why do we assume there's ever more than one group yeah like why would we assume let's suppose, let's suppose that somebody accepts the idea that all of the countries are ultimately ruled by the same group right they accept that idea a lot of them still work on the idea that oh that's because there was an amalgamation there was a like a collectivism that suddenly happened they all got together and agreed to rule as one, and they intermarried and all this stuff. And it's like, where does that idea come from? What makes you think uh, there was ever this um, group of humans all controlled by different chieftains, and then the chieftains got together? I'm not making that assumption. I'm saying, like, there's different races, there's just different ethnicities, and uh, I'm using that term broadly. I know that there's disagreements in terms of what a race is or even if there's any speciation, but, like, Japanese, Africans, people from the, uh, South Asia, people from Eastern and Western Europe. I mean, there's differences amongst the human population. So in terms of there being one controlling group, in terms of in control of all these different uh, countries, nations, continents, etc., that, to me, in such a relatively short period of time, in terms of at least documented history, it's fascinating to me if, in fact, that's how far this era goes, how quickly everything was assembled and all these stories kind of uh, permeated all these different cultures to the point where we are today. It's just, it's to me, it's very impressive that this was able to happen so quickly, if in fact it only goes back a couple hundred years. Hello? Yeah, I was waiting for someone else to say something. Yeah. There's really not much I can offer you in response to that. Like when you say impressive, I, I, I find this entire reality more than impressive it's incredible to me every day is incredible to me every day every day i walk around i just find this entire reality amazing absolutely amazing that in this time and place i can be walking around doing whatever i want apparently with complete freedom so long as i don't try to hurt anybody i seem to be completely free to do whatever i want and uh, i can talk to you wirelessly through this magic that we call technology and I can show cartoons to people and, and that people see, re they, they see real life. I can show them a president talking to men on the moon 50 years ago. They don't see any reason to continue the conversation. No, they don't. This, 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 this is a truly amazing time to be alive. I can tell people, listen, go to the back of your textbook, find out what their sources are for these stories, right? If you do that two or three times in a row, you'll get to the 1800s, and it doesn't go back further than that. And a few people will find this interesting and they'll come and chat with us about it, but most people uh, can't even comprehend what's being said. Like, this is a truly amazing time to be alive. So when you say to me, 
it's impressive if, if history has been faked in 200 years. It's like impressive. I think it's more than that. I think whatever has happened here is absolutely astounding. And every day for me is amazing. Every day. In a good way, too. And I think this, and, and you and I have had this exact same conversation at least a dozen times now. I don't find myself wondering, well, how or how, how I just accept that this, I won't have answers to these questions, man. I'm sorry for the lack of terrestrial adjectives. I uh, will just second your notion about the cartoons you show people because I just this morning got links to the ISS images of the hurricane forming on the southern east coast of uh, the United States. I'm sure OS is experiencing some of the weather patterns right now. And because the cloud cover from the NASA space station matches, or I wouldn't say matches, but demonstrates that there is clouds here on the terrain. Therefore, satellites are real, the ISS is real, and everything that NASA sent to us is real because they're able to live stream the uh, the cloud cover over Earth, and there's clouds from the area in which the, the terrain is covered from the uh, ISS. It's just it's uh, unbelievable to me. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is the realm in which we both uh, cohabit cohabitate. But like, surely, surely you sometimes find yourself, especially in New York City of all places, just every now and then, just pausing for a moment, looking around, going, "This is absolutely amazing. This is I, amazing." Yeah, I mean, uh, with or without drugs, it's very uh, <laughs> it, I, I understand the metaphor of a psychedelic trip. Bro, it's been years since I've done any psychedelics at all. I never used to do them much, but it's been years since I did any. And I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't need them, dude. This is one giant trip at this point. It's a gigantic trip every day. And I live in a crappy little outer suburb of Brisbane. And even I sometimes just stop, pause and go, this is amazing. This is truly amazing time to be alive. And not in a bad way. Like, I mean, if anything, if there's any value to what I'm saying, like, if this is a, a value-laden amazing, I mean, in the positive sense, this... It's breathtaking, the time that we live in. Every day I think to myself this. I don't need drugs to trip out, man. This is, this whole reality is a gigantic trip. Even something as simple as, you are in New York, I'm in Brisbane, and we're talking in zero latency real time. This is absolutely phenomenal. And people just take it for granted. Not me, man. This, to me, is, this is a trippy experience right now. The fact that anyone could be listening to this, there could be someone listening to this right now on a train in, uh, in Canada. Or they could listen to this in a car somewhere on the, you know, in the, in the, what do you call it, the Midwest of the US, right? Or someone in, in Sydney or Adelaide or... They could be listening to this. They've never met me. People who've never met any of us just listening to this. That is absolutely phenomenal to me. So yeah. when people say to me, oh, well, if, if this has happened or that's happened, that'd be... I'm like, what, what do you mean if? I'm, there's no if to this. This is freaking amazing. And we, we, maybe we yeah. just become... Um, dulled to it or we just become uh to it. Yeah. I uh well what's crazy to me is how antiquated the technology we're currently using right now will look five to ten years from now if we have the good fortune of being around. Uh like this will probably look like a joke. It'll look like Nintendo Game Boy technology. <laughs> uh I bet you we'll be able to zoom in like Jedi Knights and the Phantom, well, I don't know, what was the, what was the last uh, Star Wars flick where they were all in the Jedi Council beaming in? Um, I forget which one. One of those. But uh, Phantom Menace or 
don't know. But the uh, you get the idea. Well, how long is it, Dante? To to follow on from that thought, how long is it until VR is just accepted as normal? Right? It could be another ten or twenty years, but at some point, I won't be sitting at my desk or standing at my desk looking at a a screen on a laptop. I'll just be wearing it on my head. Right? And once that happens, forget Discord rooms where my little green logo goes in and chats with you. We're going to have we're going to have virtual rooms. And, of course, a lot of people will choose to have avatars that are not really representative of them. But some of us will just be like, no, nah, whatever I look like, just put that in there. And we'll just all go to the same virtual room. We'll play a game of virtual pool, right? We might even have a couple of beers. The beer will be real from my real-life fridge. But beyond that, the rest of the experience will be very similar to what we would have if we were in real life, yeah? Yeah. And it'll be a very enjoyable experience, I'm absolutely certain. We'll be able to have our own, like... You can't come in unless you're a member of this site, or you can't come in unless you're a member of this um, of this Discord server or this virtual Discord, whatever it's called by that stage. So in some ways, it'd be cooler than going to a bar in New York, because in New York, who, who the hell knows who can come in and cause a problem? No, nah, man, this is this is for those who are wanted. It'll be a phenomenal experience, and it'll be practically free, and it will have been facilitated, given to us by the people who we're supposed to believe are evil. We'll and I'll, I'll probably be sitting there in 10 years' time, still, I'll probably still be banging my head against the wall going, guys, why are you so sure they're evil? Oh, well, because, and then the answer deep down will be, well, when I first got into conspiracies, that was what I was programmed with, and I can't undo that programming. That'll pretty much be the honest answer to the question. People will post the fact they rationalise it with, oh, well, maybe, they, maybe they killed people, or, oh, they're deceiving us, gosh darn it, or, you know, all this crap. But it's like, no, in terms of your actual life, how are these people evil to you? No, they're not. I don't think they're evil at all. Even if people die, though, I mean, I'm you guys still, I still open-minded to what if they feel it's necessary for there to be a handful of deaths for the greater good. Uh, you know, I'm well. Sometimes people die on the sets of films. Like every now and then, there's an accident and a stunt man gets killed, or a you know, like accidents do happen. So you know, people get killed on all kinds of work sites, don't they? Like if anything. I tell you what, if anything, whoever pulled off 9-11, if they did manage to pull that off with no deaths, that's an amazing uh, occupational health and safety record. Like, they should be commended for that, really. What, uh, is anybody else in the room? No? I've got to get going, guys. It's All 3 right. o'clock. I need to go and get some sunlight. But this has been a good chat, and good to talk to you, uh, especially OS. Um, this is the Fakeologist Discord server, obviously, but I'm sure we'll see you in the JLB one, and I've already uh, upgraded your... Discord thing, so you can access the JLB one. So hopefully right. we see you there soon. But um, yeah, but guys, stay tuned for that video with me and the Silver Fox. We go through the the top ten of the thirty-seven things conspiratards believe. Dante, I think you'll like that one. Before I go though, Dante, yeah. now that we've got Chad in the room, what did you think of Chad's cheeky little? He said that conspiratards believe the Earth is flat. I thought I thought that was fantastic, Chad. I I did not it. intend that as a jab against Dante though. I. That's no, you're a very nice guy. I'm sure you didn't. But when I read it, the first thing I thought was, take that one, Dante. How do you like Ben Apples? <laughs> <laughs> it makes no difference to me. As I, I've long said, Kelby <clears throat> is wasting his time punching below his, his weight class at uh, any of the sins in the flat earth community. Uh, I do not know what the shape of the thing that I walk around on is. Uh, I just am not convinced. I'm halfway through. Uh, on Earth model, so I'll reserve comment until I'm completely done with it, but I do not accept a model that does not 
uh, include the large bodies of water, and I just I don't think that people in Antarctica are standing upside down. Does that mean I'm part of the flat earther crew? No, but I, I just you know I think there's a unusual level of disdain for people that might still maintain the notion that the terrain that they walk on is more level than curved. That's so if it. I gave you a map, right? If I yeah. gave you a map of Texas, yeah, and uh, and I said, look. We're in this city, and our friends are in this other city. Would you reject the map because, according to that map, our friends are in 2D? I don't think you would. I think you'd accept that it's just a map. So it's important to remember the distinction between a model, between a model and physical reality, okay? A map is just a map. A model is just a model. Absolutely. So, So what you're saying is, I think in physical reality, people are not upside down to me. Therefore, I'm going to reject a model that says that they are. Then you're confusing physical reality with the model. No, I, I think we're we're talking 180 degrees separate. I'm not rejecting the model at all. I'm not rejecting the stationary ball. Because the bon- the bon- Earth model is just a model. It's just a model. I understand that. You made it abundantly clear from the beginning. No, of I don't think I have. I don't think I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. I've got a long way to go here. Can I share my greatest revelation lately that I've had? It's pretty recent, and I'm pretty naive to just add it. Uh, this might be number 38 on things conspiratory believe. <laughs> uh, that, that most, most, if not probably all the people who are making conspiracy videos and stuff are, are, uh, both high and drunk when they're doing it. I think it's, oh wait, oh wait, so I know you might be joking a little bit, but it's actually worse yeah. than that. I've come to learn that most people, not just in this scene, but just in the world, are, Drinking or smoking away their uh, anxieties every night, and it's been quite a revelation for me as well. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I just, I see them like vaping. Now you see the vape thing. I'm like, God damn, you're just smoking weed the whole time, the whole time. You're up here like talking about the the banking system, and you're drunk and high. Like, yep. <laughs> people are like, this guy has got. He really knows his stuff. He's drunk and high. You know, yep. like you're gonna listen to him. Crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, it also reveals a deeper underlying problem. It's like, why would you listen to someone who is so unsettled with their own life that they need to be under the influence of substances every evening just to un- unwind or to relax? This person clearly isn't spiritually balanced, so why would you want to subject yourself to their thoughts? You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Audio Chat on Fakeologist.com. Which is excellent timing because if it weren't for Ab, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So a huge thanks to Ab. It's terrific for me personally to see that his website is growing the way that it is and he's had all of these people join on this particular 9-11 event, uh, memorial or whatever call. He's got more people donating to him, more people donating monthly. He says he doesn't do it for the donations. I believe him. He was doing this before he ever accepted donations. So he does this as a, as a hobby or for whatever reason, but... I still think it's awesome to see that he's being recompensed for it. So good on Fakeologist, good on all the people who support him. And, um, yeah, thanks, Ab, for everything you do. And if it weren't for Ab, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with uh, with any of these people right now. So, um, yeah, I can't thank him enough. But, guys, I've got to get going. So I might see you on my server sometime during the week. Uh, but if not, we might see you uh, right. on right. Sunday, as uh, as we usually do at JohnLeBond. Every Saturday night, American, Sunday morning, Australian. We have a call like this, all kinds of topics, all kinds of fun. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys all next time.
Are you planning a call this weekend, Gialdo? Oh, well, uh, yes, I am. But here's the thing I wasn't. I wanted to. This, these member Skype calls, like, it is nice to have a break every now and then. So I was planning mm-hmm. to um, to have a break. But we've just had, I think it's now 15 or 16 new members since the high side chats call. So basically, that's an increase of like a third in a space of just over a week. And so I think while all these people are new, it's probably it's probably incumbent on me to make sure that we have these calls for the next couple of weeks. So to answer your question, Chad, I'll, po- I'll post something about this later tonight, my time. But yeah, I'll be there on um, Sunday, my time next week. And uh, and now we've got Vela Set on board, who has produced the last couple of calls. So who's making all that noise in the background? This is, I, I, uh, I've got to go to you guys. I'll talk to you guys yeah. later. See you, man. Good talking. Uh, well, don't forget so, um, to install. Don't don't forget to install Yoast plugin and Google Analytics because uh, I will take you up on that challenge of the uh, SEM traffic. But on that note, I will uh, bow out. Yeah, so Chad, I was halfway through answering your question before all of that just happened. So yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, man, we'll have a call this weekend, and then we'll probably have one for the next couple of weekends, and um, and then maybe take a break at some point thereafter. But, um, but yeah, I'll be, on there. I'll be there Saturday night next week, your time, or this week, your time, Sunday, my time. It should be a lot of fun. So you're still getting new signups even today. Fantastic. Bro, three in the last 24 hours. So, wow. I mean, this is, this is just insane. Once upon a time, it'd be like three people would sign up a month. I'd be happy. So it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous, man. I can barely describe it. It's crazy. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And um, obviously, as I've said to you before, it's not just me. It's, there's a lot of us who've been putting work into this. And uh, Mezzi and Fung and the rest of the OG crew, you guys are all there at the start. So hopefully you're all enjoying seeing what's, uh, what's been happening. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. It's because, hey, I was chatting about this with the Silver Fox earlier today. Like four years ago when we started all of this, none of us had any idea what was uh was on the horizon, you know. We we spent the first few weeks honestly expecting YouTube would shut us down because we'd heard all these stories about, ooh, you'll get censored if you if you speak about certain topics, blah blah blah. Well, we never got shut down. Here we are, four years later, and uh, you know I've got a website that I can live off now. It's just it's hard to describe. It really is. It's, uh, it's hard well, to you had a vision and uh, you made it happen. It's great. Look, I'm. Like I said, I'm, I couldn't be happier, Chad, and, and hopefully you and the others are enjoying it as well. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to know more about these new people because most of them have come from THC. So, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of things do they believe? What kind of things are they aware of? It's going to be fascinating to see. And then, of course, on the call a couple of days ago, we had Phil from Sydney, who seems to be fairly media fakery aware, but more focused on, on health and these kinds of things. And then Tommy from North Dakota, who seems to have already been sort of up to speed with the history hopes. And those are two people who found the site through THC. So people like me, who probably were a little bit cynical of of the THC audience's propensity to, to think about things like the history hoax or the Tesla hoax, well, I've been proven wrong and, and the others have been proven wrong. Apparently there's plenty of uh, sceptical people among the uh, the THC crowd. So sometimes, Chad, it is good to be wrong. You know, what I'm really enjoying is seeing the new members going, reading your old material and commenting on it. 
in going, because I haven't revisited that stuff in a long time. It makes you want to go back and reread some of your older material. It's, it's brings it alive again. And, and it's interesting to see it through their eyes, you know, from a fresh perspective, reading it for the first time. It's, so the, the website feels so much different just in terms of the comments, and it's fantastic. It's, it's a good thing. I completely agree. How cool is it on the sidebar where it says recent comments? Usually there's only two or three threads that all of the comments are in, whereas lately there's all like over the place. Whole, it's all over the place, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's great. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that article, and, it's, and it's, I, I'm tickled to see people's reactions to the material, you know? That because I remember my reactions, and 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 now you're getting a whole new influx of people reacting to it, and they're very intelligent comments. They're they're very, I don't know what it is about the higher side chat crew, but they're really insightful, uh, contemplative people. Well, the ones who have commented so far, I agree. So out of yeah. the out of, let's say 15 people have signed up in the last week or two. It seems to me like only four or five have been particularly active. So it still waits to be seen sort of um, who these other guys are. But the other cool thing about it is because so many of them have joined up, like they really are all different people. So it's easy to sort of pigeonhole them all as THC, but already they're proving that they're very different. Like, for instance, Phil with his uh, urine therapy stuff, I'm willing to bet that most of the people who've joined up are not on board with the urine therapy, right? Like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about that today. I wanted to kind of talk about that. It's, you know, it was interesting. He suggested that putting the urine under your tongue to create a feedback loop for the body's immune system to kick in. You know, it's, it, it's like, well, okay, if the body was designed to do that, then why is it a, a natural thing for you, people not to want to drink their urine. I mean, it's the idea is repulsive. Nature didn't seem to suggest that we should do this. It seems to be an unnatural thing. But I, I'm not saying I disagree with the results or anything. It's, it's I just find it puzzling that uh, you know if if that's true and 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 the immune system could benefit tremendously from that feedback loop, that it wasn't sort of more obvious that we were designed to do that. I think the response would be, well, uh, you are repulsed by urine, but how much of that is natural and how much of that is conditioning? Uh, exactly. That's exactly what I thought the, the argument would be against it, that we were conditioned to be repulsed by drinking our urine. That, yeah. That, well, uh, I thought what you were going to ask is if the idea of putting some under your tongue helps your uh, digestive or immune system to know what it needs to do, well, what's to stop your body from just accessing that information from the urine itself. Right. You know, before, yes. before you expel it. Right. I, I thought of that too. Why do you have to ingest it to get that feedback loop going? You know, why is the body designed for you to, to ingest it rather than some other mechanism, you know, for that feedback loop? It just seems like nature made a mistake somehow, right? Do you follow what I'm saying or no? Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page with this idea of you shouldn't, like, I don't want to say you shouldn't, but, okay, why does your body need to expel it and then reintroduce it to the mouth? The information in there is, is necessary to the body. Why would your body expel it before accessing that information? Right. Right? And exactly. I'm, sure, I'm sure that Phil and others will have um, answers to some of these questions. And, uh, yeah, like, what's your, what's your opinion on this, Chad? If, if we just say, look, anyone can come with their opinions, uh, why, why do and I don't need to, to uh, criticize Phil by saying that. It's just 
I was just sitting here thinking that today when I was earlier. You know, because no, that kind I'm of fascinated. You're not coming across. Yeah. No, you're not coming across as um, picking him. We're going to get more people coming along with ideas that me personally I wouldn't uh, endorse as being necessarily based on any evidence that I've seen. But I'm happy to admit I haven't really spent much time looking at the evidence for what they call urine therapy. So hey, I've got an open mind. And I think this is going to be a good test for us is just to see those of us, especially those of us who've been on the site for a few years, are we able to engage openly and honestly with, with some of these more bizarre ideas? Because the truth is, to most of the so-called conspiracy culture, media fakery is bizarre, right? No one died, no one got hurt is outrageous. So yeah. if we can't engage with uh, some of these other ideas openly and frankly, then I don't want to say that it's hypocrisy, but in a way it's kind of like we're just one we're just one version of the same problem. Yes, I agree. No, I you're it's great that you're open to discussing anything like that. You know, well, I'm now happy, Chad. I've come a long way in the last four weeks since I discovered how many flat earthers there are on my own website. After all these years of me mocking flat earth, at first it was, you know, it was a little bit difficult to get my head around, but, dude, I'm cool with it now. I'm, ha- I'm happy to even be the minority on my own website, right? I'm quite happy to. Now that I think about it, suppose, for argument's sake, out of, say we've got 60 members on the site, say 50 of them still believe that the Iraq war was real, for argument's sake. And I, I don't know if that is the case, but let's just say hypothetically, I'm happy to be among the 10. I'm happy to be in the minority on my own website. doesn't bother me. If it got to the stage where it was a majority flat earth, I would like to think I would still be able to handle that, right? So long as the discourse was civil, so long as we weren't, people weren't bringing it up on every call because they just get boring, I would like to think I could still handle having a majority you know, no matter what the topic is, flat Earth, uh, war is real. Um, uh, what else is there? Uh, if if they all believe dinosaurs was real, again, that'd be a bit weird for me. But again, I think I could just go with it. You know, it doesn't um, it doesn't have to be a problem. You know, as long as people are just civil about it. And I think that's really why the flat Earth thing was such a problem for me was because the flat Earth has started off being civil back in 2015, and then they turned into dogmatic zealots. But you don't have to be dogmatic if you're a flat earther. And I guess the members on johnlebond.com who are flat earthers, they haven't been dogmatic. So much so, I didn't realize how many of them there were. And then when I finally realized, I was like, ah, I see, I see. So I will see what happens. I mean, I'll admit I'm a member of your website. I joined because I wanted to on Earth model. And I spent hours scratching my head trying to figure out the, the flat earth thing. I mean, so much time looking at it. Going, could this be? Could this be? It can't be. It can't be. You know, I, uh, so, I mean, I, I'll admit to you, I, I spent hours and hours looking at that. And I thought, I think I got fooled. And, and I thought your article was excellent. I do agree that it is the best model based on empirical evidence and what we observe that, that what you wrote makes complete sense. I thought it was a fantastic article. It was my first article and I thought it was spot on. Well, I appreciate that. I think what has happened, though, is you understood that I was putting forward just a model, and I think there's still a lot of confusion about this idea that physical reality and the model are the same thing, when, of course, they A model is not. a tool. It's, it's, just, it's just a tool. tool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And the model cool. suggests, based on our observations, especially of the, the rotation of the stars in the northern and southern hemisphere, 
The best model to explain that is a round earth model, not a flat earth model. I agree. Is the, it is the superior model, but you're right. The map is not the terrain. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And so when people know, say I, to me, oh, well, people upside down, I'm like, what are you talking about upside down? This is just a model, and it's a model that can account for the flights, right? And I think if you listen to enough of the flat earthers sort of denying or obfuscating on the topic of flights, you start to think it's okay to do that. Uh, but no, it's not. If you're trying to come up with a consistent model, a consistent framework, it has to account for the flights because the flights are real. And I have noticed a few flat earth apologists, when you actually sort of stop them from trying to change the subject and just focus on the flights, they do, you can see the chinks in their armor very quickly. They've, they've been so beholden to the groupthink of flat earth that they're not used to this being a topic of conversation. The flat earth is moving on very quickly. They obfuscate. But I think any intelligent, honest, objective person I'll concede, yeah, the flights don't work on any flat earth. It doesn't work. And the flights are real. The flights are real. You know, we use a lot of models to explain or understand things, and sometimes they're useful. They, they can make predictions, and we can use those models to predict results when, when we tr- attempt certain things. But it doesn't mean that describes the reality. It's just, you know, like light. Light behaves like waves sometimes, right? It behaves like particles sometimes. But but what is light really? I mean, is light a wave? I, I I doubt it. But but sometimes seeing light as a wave is a useful model in predicting its behavior. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Well, it's funny that you bring up light because I'm hoping to talk about this in a member call soon. Like next time I put out a remember how last time we put out a, a proposed topic list and I just said, guys, you tell me what topics you want to talk about and we'll make a schedule. Well, I'm going to have to do that again, obviously. And uh, I'm hoping to talk about this, some of the fundamental ideas that we have about physical reality, including light. Because I used to believe that light was, ooh, it's a dual, it's a particle ender wave, right? Which is right. classic double think. Like it's double yeah. think from the start. But I used to believe that. Oh, it's kind of a particle. It's kind of, now I don't see it that way at all. No, I just think those are useful. Sometimes make predictions, but I yep. really don't think that that's the true nature of light. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. so physically, I don't believe them to be particles or waves. But if if well, I wasn't the that model of a particle, that I brought that up that you were thinking it was that perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. So, but I mean, even things like being made of atoms, right? Like I used to believe that I was actually made of atoms, and atoms are of course mostly empty space. So I used to believe that I was therefore mostly empty space, and so are you, and so is everything. Now. I do not believe in atoms as a real physical thing. But as a model, say in a chemistry class, we're going to mix this chemical with this chemical. We predict it will make this other chemical. As a model, it can work. It can make predictions. Fantastic. Right. But it doesn't mean that this chemical actually is made of atoms. And I still think this distinction between the map and the terrain, this seems to be where people are having a lot of trouble distinguishing between the two. So it's like before the advent of GPS tracking technology, we used to navigate using physical maps. Like in Melbourne, we have a book called The Melways, right? And in Brisbane, it's called Brisways. In Sydney, it's called Sidways. This is the main, I don't even know if they're still in business. I imagine they've gone out of business by now, but this is the main map book of a city in Australia, is the Melways, the Brisways, whatever, right? And, And so I would use that to navigate. Now, this was trying to tell me that my suburb and the suburb I was going to were flat, and they were like the same height as each other. When that wasn't physically true, physically, we were not at the same elevation, 
and there was a ton of uh, mountains or whatever in in between the two the two suburbs that I knew I could see with my eyes. So I could have said, no, I reject this map because I know that I'm not at the same elevation as you. That would be stupid. That's not the map's job. The map's job is to be a tool because it's a model. Right. And that's all the Bonnerth model is, is trying to say, based on the observable evidence, what is the best model? The best model is a ball model. It's that simple. But if people are on the site, new members or old, and they don't understand the distinction or they don't care about the distinction or they just want to focus on how I can't be upside down, well, that's that's up to them. You know, it doesn't... I don't think it's going to bother me going forward, Chad. You know? I think it's going to bother me. Oh, I think that's great. That, And I think you'll, you know, enjoy your website more that way and and uh, it'll be a great place to have these discussions. I hope so. I hope so. And, yeah. then, and then for people who... Who maybe don't like uh, JohnLeBond.com? They've got Fakeologist Discord server, which uh, they can come here and discuss things. And that's the beauty is there's several there's several places now where you can just go and discuss things, right? So this idea that oh they're trying to shut us down or stop conversation or stop dissent, what a lot of nonsense! Look how easy it is to discuss these things. And uh, has anything bad happened to you? No. Has anything bad happened to me? No. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's pretty clear now to anyone who's being honest with themselves that. There's no boogeyman coming to get them. And uh, we can discuss these things and nothing bad will happen. Yeah, so far, so good. So far, people, so good. And people find a way. You know, people are resourceful and clever. If one door closes, another one will open. That tends to be the way. And, and this call will be superseded by some by something soon enough. And, yeah. And, and I mean, look at the fakeologist. How many people have they had joined their 9-11 special now? Literally more than a dozen. I'm telling you, I'm pretty confident that's more than this time last year. So, I, I had to leave. Was there? Was it pretty full um, earlier today? I've only been here for two hours. Oh, okay. or maybe maybe slightly more. Well, maybe well earlier it was now. pretty. There were quite a few people. I had to go because I had this picnic thing to attend. But yeah, no, it's it, it's been some good discussions. Dave J was here earlier. Did you get to talk to him, or was I, he gone? Well, I didn't see him on this Discord, but I do know that this place has warmed to him over the last uh, six or seven months. Because originally there was a bit of. Um, there was one or two people who were who were giving Dave J shit for no good reason at all, and it seems to me like over time people have started to see that he has things worth listening to, you know. So, um, so the point of what I'm saying is, it seems like whether it's because of the ease of Discord, whether it's because Fakeologist is just growing in its um, listenership or whatever, more people are coming out and having conversations, and uh, I think that's terrific. But Chad, I've got to get going because if I don't go now, I won't get sun, and if I don't get sun. I get a little bit cranky, so uh, <laughs> I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm completely serious, though. By the way, like 20 minutes of sun. If there's anyone out there who does need to self-medicate to feel okay with themselves, or they need to take uh, prescription medications because they think there's something wrong with them, okay, maybe that maybe that is the case, but maybe you just need some more sunlight. Because if I go a few days without sun, I start feeling uh, just unhappy. Seriously. So whenever oh. there is sunlight, I try and get some, and I feel good. And it sounds so silly, but I'm I couldn't be more serious about this. Oh, I'm it does sound silly. I mean, I'm, enjoying this, I'm enjoying this conversation. I've got nothing else to do today, but I literally have to go because I know that if I don't get sunlight today and then there's none tomorrow, by the, by the day after that, I'll be like, just feeling a bit strange. As silly as that sounds. Oh, it doesn't sound silly at all. No, it's important. I agree. Excellent. Well, Chad, I might see you in, uh, in our Discord server sometime soon. I might see you on Fakeologist sometime soon. Why not? We're all friends here. But after you oh, go yeah. on, man. So you take care of yourself and we'll uh, speak soon, all right? Okay. Take all care, right,
Cheers. Hi, this is the voice of Hoi Poloi from cluesforum.info, and I have no control over how this recording is being used to promote Fakeologist Radio at fakeologist.com.